listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Fonz DeFalco, Kyle Russo, James Montefusco here on the show. Thank you very much, guys, for holding down the fort last week. You guys did a fantastic job. Thank you guys again so much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Tom. No problem. Uh, quick reminder tonight, we are live on Facebook Live. Our stream is Review and Preview LIU. You can follow us, subscribe to our podcast on the anchor.fm slash review and preview. So if you can't watch our whole live Facebook live show tonight, you can go up on the anchor and watch it there for our audio version. Our video is on here. Follow us on Instagram at review and preview. Guys, it's been a crazy week in sports. It's also been a crazy week outside of sports. I know Fonz missed the show last week. We each missed it for separate reasons. Um... Tonight, as you guys can tell in the intro image, that is me and my friend John Mondello. Tonight, we remember and honor my dear friend John Mondello, who passed away two weeks ago tonight. John was one of our frontline heroes fighting the coronavirus. John passed away two weeks ago at just 23 years old. John recently graduated from the Fire Department's EMS Academy in early February and went on to work with the Tactical Response Group next to EMS Station 18 in Claremont up in the Bronx, New York. He was immediately thrown into the front lines of the pandemic. A few things John loved, his family, friends, music, food, sports, and he loved New York Giants football. I first met John and his twin brother, Kevin, when I was 12. We basically grew up together across the street from each other. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I will always remember all the times up in youth group at St. Francis, the summer nights at Astoria Park, all of the football and ba- uh, basketball games we had down at 48th Street, watching movies, playing video games, all that fun stuff, and going to Mets games. That was a lot of fun, especially with the parent. I remember all the holiday parties, especially on Christmas Eve and all of our adventures. Uh, Being the older brother by five minutes, John would always look out for his little brother, Kevin. John was a great person with a kind heart. Uh, That's what made him such a special friend, too, guys. You know, he helped me grow as an individual, and he challenged me to jump out of my comfort zone. John, thank you so much for being such a brave EMT and a great friend. You will always hold a special place in my heart and be greatly missed. Your radiating positivity will remain in every person you have ever known and touched, and I can wholeheartedly say that you have made this world a better place. John, I love you forever, forever, brother. On behalf of Review and Preview, we send our prayers and condolences to the Mondello family and all the families that have lost loved ones during this difficult time. Thank you, John Mondello. Now, before we go into the moment of silence, James, Kyle, and Fonz, would you guys like to follow up on that or say anything? It's just it's a it's a horrible situation, man. You know when um when James first let me know, you know I was texting you sporadically throughout the day, excited about the Giants draft, and you weren't responding like usual. And I knew something had to have been up. And James uh, texted me individually later, or um yeah, I think it was individually later, and he and he let me know. And it was 
horrible. The first thing I did was reach out to you, and um, and I'm really sorry, man. I'm really, I really, I really am sorry. My prayers and condolences out to the family of John Manzello. Um, it's really a terrible situation, and you know, it, thoughts and our prayers and and everything. Yeah, the same thing uh, for me, Tom. Uh, you know, sorry for for loss and thoughts and prayers to you and the entire family uh, during this rough time. Same here, guys. Uh, Tom, I apologize for your loss along with the family. Um, I know it's not an easy time that we're going through at this point, um, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm sure he's looking over you, you, Tom, your family, his family, and everybody he impacted in many different ways. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate that. And to the Mondello family, all of you guys watching right now, we're at a record. Uh, we've only been doing OBS broadcasts for about a month now. This is the most views we've had at one time. Thank you guys for supporting us and our show. I love John at the bottom of my heart, and I just wanted to thank you guys again so much for even just having me as a part of your life and being able to celebrate and have fun with you guys. But let's think positive. Um and look towards the future, and John will forever be missed and never forgotten. At this time, since John worked out of EMS Station 18, at this time we will have 18 seconds of silence to honor him. Thanks, John. Thank you. Again, thank you guys so much, everyone who's reached out to the Mondello family, to everyone in Astoria that is affected by this tragic loss, all the EMTs. Thank you guys for so much and everything that you guys do. We really do appreciate it at the end of the day. And without further ado, um, John, I know you would love the show to go on right now. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I love you so much. Quick rundown of what we're going to go on to tonight. We're going to talk and recap the New York football Giants NFL draft. And um, <laughs> thank you, Gigi, for the comment. Great, memorable photo. It was really appreciate, uh, really appreciated. Uh, and Waldo as well. We appreciate it. Kevin Mondello, love you, man. Thank you so much. Anytime, anytime, Kevin. Uh, and Eileen, John, Bridget, Melissa, Diane, John, Mike. Chris Walsh, everybody. Um, thank you. Tilly, Hondo, Wolfie, and John again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, I feel like I'm related to you guys. Um, really appreciate it. But um, if you guys want to comment, any funny memories, feel free to comment. Any fan questions you guys have on some of the topics we're going to talk about tonight, let's run down through them now. So, we're going to review the New York Giants draft. Now, James and Kyle, I know you guys talked about this last week, but I'll just touch upon it and give some of my thoughts. We are going to talk with uh, first-time guest caller Jordan Spurgeon from California. Uh, he is a play-by-play -play broadcaster out of Arizona State University. He does a lot of games for the Sun Devils. He's a diehard Patriots fan, so we'll have him on in just a few minutes. We're going to talk 
with Viking superfan Gabe Flayton up from Cornwall, New York. He's going to talk about their draft and their astonishing 15 draft picks. We're also going to talk about Fonz, your Baltimore Ravens. Who are you donning tonight, by the way? This is uh, old school. I don't know if you guys remember Willis McGahee. I figured to throw this one out here, too. Former Buffalo Bill for a little bit. Went to the Ravens, had a couple of good seasons there. I think he played for the Broncos and the Browns to end his career and now retired as a Raven. But, yeah, one of my favorites growing up to watch. So, yeah, I had to don the Willis McGahee today. <laughs> you know, he was a journeyman. He played for a lot of teams, and, you know, he was really always a fun guy to watch. He had a, um, he had a tough start to his career, but the he eventually got there. things rolling. Yeah, the knee injuries that he had. Um, yeah. And then of course we'll talk about Don Shula passed away this week as well. 90 years old, probably, uh, the only thing comparable to Bill Belichick, uh, as far as head coaches are concerned in the NFL. And then we'll also talk about the NFL schedules were released last night. So we'll see. I noticed cause due to the coronavirus, a lot of the teams don't have divisional games to later on in the season. It's affecting some divisions, but not others. Uh, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So, Kyle, James, thanks for running that down last week. I want to uh, piggyback a couple thoughts that I had on the Giants. Um, so back when we did the NFL Draft Video Challenge on our Instagram account, I did not think the Giants would take Andrew Thomas number four overall. But we saw what the Giants did last year. We thought Jones was a great pick, but not at number six. Well, we thought he was a good pick. Let me put it to you that way. Um, how did you, how do you guys really break this Andrew Thomas pick down? Well, Tom, for me personally, you break it down. And one of the best things about him is that he's versatile. And, and, you know, by the giants, not releasing Nate Solder by now, you know, they had all the free agency to release him bite the bullet that, uh, up until now, uh, to release him there before the draft. And even right now to release him, but they haven't done it, which indicates to me at least that he's making this team and he's going to be the starting left tackle. What Andrew Thomas brings to the table is that he could play right tackle. So now you've got two good tackles. You know that if Nate Solder is no longer a part of this team, at least uh, going forward, you know that Andrew Thomas could potentially move to that left tackle position. And then what even better makes this team is then drafting third-round pick Matt Pert out of UConn could be filling right tackle as well for this team. So you got a nice left in the future of Andrew Thomas and a nice right in the future of Matt Pert. Um, but Andrew Thomas, I think Tom – uh, listening back and looking back on your video that you had posted during the NFL draft video challenge that we had a couple weeks back, uh, you pretty much broke it down to pretty much an exact science. It's not a bad pick. Andrew Thomas is not a bad player. It's just not a good pick at the number four pick. But uh, breaking down uh, what the Giants were doing up until the draft, they were looking to trade back. You know, it wasn't it, it wasn't any secret. They were looking to trade back, and that was probably going to be their pick. And that guy and Andrew Thomas probably would have been available. You know, maybe even out of the top 10, he might have been available. But, you know, sometimes if it's your guy, you got to take him. And we saw them do that last year with Daniel Jones, a guy who could have fallen, people said, further in the first round. Uh, but they took him at number six. And that's probably the same mindset, same mentality here with Andrew Thomas at number four. James, I remember, I want to get to you in just a second. Funds, you were the only one out of the four of us that had the Giants taking an offensive lineman at number four overall. Uh, you were correct in terms of that position, but you didn't get the right one. But the Giants are one of the most unpredictable teams all time when it comes to drafting. I think Kyle Russo has swung and missed 
the last two years now, three years. I've swung and missed every year, every year, every year. Every um, year. But let me put it to you guys this way: Andrew Thomas has the longest arms out of any tackle in the draft. He has the most true left tackle traits. You watch that podcast with John Schmelk, two ex-Giants uh, linemen, two guys that are going to be inducted into the Giants Ring of Honor at some point. Dave Deal and Sean O'Hara said it best: Andrew Thomas moves his feet really well. He can pass protect, and that's something you're going to need for years. And he's going to learn under a great veteran and a guy like Nate Solder and a guy like Nate Solder. And also, you have another veteran like Cam Fleming. You have a Kevin Zeitler. There are veterans now on this offensive line. There's a good mix of vets and young guys, right? Uh, before we get to Matt Hurt, James, the Giants take Xavier McKinney in the second round, number 36 overall. A lot of people are saying – this was the Giants' best pick in the draft, and they're actually calling this a top 10 pick out of the entire NFL draft. What are your thoughts on Xavier McKinney? We know the Bama I safety have, tradition. I have to agree with uh, all the reports that have come out and such. Um, it, it was a surprise that we did get him, um, but at the same time, I'm glad we got him, only because we saw out of this draft the, the – well. Out of the schedule now, we're looking at all the teams we're playing, right? We look at the Dow, uh, the Cowboys just got stronger um, with another weapon. Um, we play uh, Tom Brady and Gronk this season. So there's by adding him, there's, he's going to help blossom that defense along with our safety course going to be a lot stronger, and I think it's going to shut down a lot. I think it's going to make a big difference on that defense. Yeah, uh, Kyle Russo, um, Xavier McKinney. We know the last time safety that went to the Giants in Landon Collins. Uh, there's a lot of similarities to Landon as far as McKinney is concerned. How well do you see him being an immediate starter, fitting into that safety position alongside a guy like Jabril Peppers? I, I said it last week. I think this could be potentially one of the best duos, tandems, and safeties in the entire NFL instantly. Jabril Peppers, you know, surprised me. I was a guy... Uh, that had a lot of negativity towards the Odo Beckham Jr. trade, and I didn't like uh, the reciprocation that they got back. One of those pieces, Jabril Peppers, I wasn't a fan of him because you know he he, he struggled to make the safety position on the Browns, a, a team that was 0-16 at one point in time just a few years back. But he, he he impressed me. He was one of the best defensive players that we had last season, and now adding a guy in Xavier McKinney has a lot of features, like you said, Tom, uh, compared to Landon Collins, shutdown guy, um, can really play all over the field and a really aggressive player as well. And it's just a good addition to this team, a good addition to the secondary position. You know, going into the second round, we I was surprised that they that this guy fell to him. You know, on yeah. our mock drafts, I think on most of our mock drafts, we had him going within the top 20 of the first round. And this guy fell all the way down to 36 right in the Giants' lap. And, you know, that's a steal anytime you get a good player, even if it's not necessarily a position of need. Anytime you get an impact player like Xavier McKinney will be for this Giants team, it's a win-win situation. I completely agree with you 100%. And this was pretty much the best defensive player the Giants took in this draft, hands down, because the Giants focused on offense in the early rounds and defense in the later rounds. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, Matt Pert, offensive tackle, local guy out of UConn. This is a developmental prospect. Me and my buddy John Mondello, we used to say this all the time, the Giants don't have a good offensive line. And his brother Kevin as well. We used to say it all the time, the Giants don't have a good offensive line. We went to a training camp one summer. And Justin Pugh was a rookie. We're like, yeah, this line's going downhill in a couple of years. 
because all the good guys were retiring. And you're used to that for so long. You're used to deal uh, Cybert, O'Hara, Snee, and McKenzie. And even when Luke Pettigrew was there before they slid deal out to left tackle, that was the fab five. Right, James? Wouldn't you agree that was the fab five of the Giants line? Deal, Cybert, O'Hara, Snee, and McKenzie. Oh, that was a beautiful line. And then it went downhill. <laughs> now we've been looking at garbage. We've yeah. been looking at hot garbage for God knows how many years. So, And here's the thing, James. If you're a defender, you couldn't see through Chris Snee and Kareem McKenzie. Those were two big dudes. You are running behind those guys. You're guaranteed to get loads of positive yardage. Um, so I think this Matt Pert pick is going to be great. Uh, Nate Solder, yeah, this is going to be your number three. They signed him to a four-year, $62 million deal, uh, $62 million deal. So he might be gone after this year unless he takes a, a pay cut. And Cam Fleming was only signed on a one-year deal. So eventually your two future investments in tackles Andrew Thomas and Matt Pert, they're protecting your long-term investments in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Now, this, these – look – me and Kyle Russo and James, we all shaked our heads. Why another offensive tackle in the third round? Now it makes sense. This guy was a second round, late second round, early third round prospect that fell to a third down, uh, third round compensatory pick. You had to take this guy. He was the best lineman left available. And we know Big Dave loves his hog mollies. Uh, let's get through. Uh, this. By the way, Pert has long arms as well. Darnay Holmes, quarterback out of UCLA. Uh, Funds, I know as a Ravens fan, you're used to having really good quarter, uh, really good cornerbacks on your team. Did you get to scout this guy at all before the draft, Darnay Holmes? Uh, a little bit here and there. I mean, the cornerback depth, there was so much. Um, I mean, literally with my top seven, like Darnay Holmes was kind of like a sleeper prospect. Like him and Jalen Johnson, I think, were kind of like the same. But he's a, he was a very good player out of uh, UCLA. He started pretty much throughout his entire career there from day one. Uh, 5'10", 195, it's a scrappy corner, so I think that's something that the Giants want to bring him in there. Eventually, he will be the full-time starter. I mean, as a fourth-rounder, he'll probably play some nickels, some certain packages, maybe some special teams just to get his his feet wet in the NFL and then eventually become the full-time starter. But I do like the Darnay uh, home selection, and uh, I'll say this too. I mean, I, that Andrew Thomas pick and the Perth pick, I like those tackle picks. Thomas, I'll say it again, only allowed two sacks in his last season at Georgia, or I think his last <laughs> two seasons. Thought it was one sack last year, one sack the year before, right? Yes, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, yeah. And the dude plays in the SEC. Yeah, so I wanted to say that. I mean, listen, I know Russo didn't like it because he's the offensive lineman, but I'm, and Thomas, before the college season started, he was like the best offensive lineman prospect. Oh, I know, Thomas. I know, I know. So I'll, just, I know. I'll say I'll move on to the next player. <laughs> Thomas is going to be your tackle for 12 years. That He is a very good player. And my thing is this, Dar- Darnay Holmes is going to fight for that nickel position, and he is very talented. At 5'9", look, you kind of want a smaller guy. You want taller corners on the outside, not in the slot. You want a guy that could keep up with those uh, fast slot receivers. And we know um, one of the Giants' Achilles heels in Super Bowl Forty Two was Kevin Dockery trying to keep up with Wes Welker. It was just bad. It was really bad to watch. I think Welker had a record for most uh, catches in a Super Bowl game that year because the Giants couldn't defend him. Um, fifth round, the Giants take Shane Lomu. First five rounds, three offensive linemen. Well, why? Why do we think so? Well, I had Shane Lemieux actually going to the Vikings in this exact same round in my mock, which would have been a little bit after the Giants. Mm-hmm. But Shane Lemieux 
loves the Giants. I think he could be our future starting center, to be honest with you. I know he's an interior guy. He's like a guard. I know Zeitler is 30, 31 years old. Will Hernandez is a young guy. He's a future investment to the team. Uh, Kyle Russo, what do you think of this Shane Lemieux pick guard out of Oregon? Well, at first it was confusing to me because at first he was drafted as a guard. I'm like, that's the one position on the offensive line in which the Giants don't need. But then you see you you invest some of your time into research and you see that before the draft, this guy was practicing uh, as a center. And immediately, you know, that goes off in your head because me and you, Tom, we were talking about the Giants uh, potentially uh, drafting a center. Well, um, what's the center's name? Tyler Bo- uh, Boyazada. I- Bayadas from Wisconsin. Bayadas from Wisconsin at the center position. And this guy could play at the center position. I, I, I watched a couple of his videos. He could snap the ball. Yeah. And that's definitely an improvement over a guy like John Jalapio, potentially, or a guy in Spencer Pulley. Um, and it's a late-round investment. Uh, so it can't hurt you at all. And if anything, if the center position doesn't work out, could be a replacement down the line for Kevin Zeitler. 100%. I agree with you. Now let's go to the Giants' uh, last few picks in this draft. Sixth round, they take Cam Brown, a linebacker out of Penn State, a good strong side linebacker who could also slide into the weak side. He can rush the passer a little bit as well. Doesn't have a great track record as far as sacks. Um, But again, this guy started a lot throughout his college career, which, by the way, I forgot to mention, the guy we just talked about, Lemieux, didn't miss a start all four years of college. All four years, did not miss a start. Him and Thomas, too. Thomas was the same way. You got two veteran guys that that can have durability. 100%. Um, I love this Cam Brown pick and Carter Coughlin, edge rusher, outside linebacker out of Minnesota. Um, Experts believe that the Giants had one of the best drafts, like a top eight to 10 draft, right? Carter Coughlin might have been my second favorite pick for the Giants behind Xavier McKinney because I think he's going to fly very well under the radar. O'Shane Zaminas had four and a half sacks last year in very limited time. That could be Carter Coughlin this year, right? If they get Golden back, he could start alongside X-Man, and then you have Kyler Fackrell, and then you slide in uh, Carter Coughlin on top of Lorenzo Carter. That's five edge rushers. The problem is which ones are going to develop and which ones are going to flop. And, Kyle, I know you are much worried about this position more than any other, but I love how they took Carter Coughlin this late quite frankly a steal well we'll see what happens you know he's a seventh round pick so uh, we'll, we'll see if he even makes the team you know we got to hope that he makes the team first before we start talking about you know starting day 53 man roster as a seventh round pick 55. 55 now as a, as a seventh round pick you're already going to have a lot of um you're not going to have a lot of room for mistakes he's going to need every single one of those preseason games he's going to make he's got to make sure that when it comes to training camp you know he shows his stuff because the Giants, if there's one thing that they invested themselves in, it's linebackers. Yeah, and I think Joe Judge's scheme wants a lot of them. The last three picks in this draft were T.J. Brunson, Chris Williamson, a teammate of Coughlin in college, and then Mr. Irrelevant, Tay Crowder. So those were the last few picks. Um, look, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I My least favorite pick for the Giants was probably Matt Perry. But looking back at it now, I kind of like it. But judging out of every single pick, Matt Perry is probably number one and then Brunson number two because I don't think we need an interior linebacker. But the Matt Perry pick is starting to grow on me. I'm just, I think the Giants need immediate help and having a third round pick as a developmental prospect that might not even play this year. 
it is a little bit concerning to me because what if Gettleman swung and missed on this pick? You guys get what I'm saying? I really like Matt Pert, and I hope he does great. I'm just not sure if it's going to be a good long-term investment or not. Tom, I, I, you know what it is? With a third-round pick, there's not too much worry. It, it, it's right in the middle between uh, you know a lot of investment capital and a little bit. It's right in the middle. It's not too much to worry about. But I'm going to be dead honest. You know, I look at this draft, and I think the Giants, I think I could agree with you uh, in other reports saying that the Giants did have a top 10 draft. I think they did. And even though I like Andrew Thomas as a player, I think that might have been their worst pick. And I'll tell you why. It's not because the player in which the Giants are getting are bad. It's because the player they passed up on is better. You know, Isaiah Simmons, you know, that, that defense down in Arizona, Chandler Jones lined up with, Isaiah Simmons is going to be one of the most filthy defensive schemes in all of football. Two of the hardest two linebackers uh, to stop in the game going into this next upcoming season. The Giants could have had that guy. This is a guy that was all over the field. This was like a, a bigger, a bigger version of a Chandler Jones. This guy is in Isaiah Simmons, and and that's what the Giants passed up on. And anytime you know the Giants, especially you see in the past where they've tried to address the offensive line just in general. And over the course of the last five, six years, it seems like almost every player offensively on the line in which they've drafted has not panned out, you know, besides Will Hernandez. And that's where it becomes very, you know, scary. And especially at, at the fourth overall pick when there's already questions, you know, reaching at this pick, you know, right. are the Giants the team that you could confidently say that in the past, you know, they've reached and it's worked out. And we know the answer is no. So anytime you see something like that, it, especially as a fan of the team, it's got to scare you a little bit. I, yeah. he's going to be a great left tackle. Yeah. And Fonz, I hope what you said is true. 12 years down the line. I hope that's my offensive tackle, but we'll see what happens. A hundred percent. I'm going to have to go with Fonz there. And I do see what you're saying, Kyle. I do agree with you as well. Um, so just running through a couple of these undrafted free agents. And then we're going to move on to new England. We actually have a caller coming on for new England in just a couple minutes. Uh, Benjamin, the, the Giants stacked up on wide receivers out of the undrafted free agents. They got Reese John out of Canada, who's a 6'7", potential red zone guy that might make this roster or possibly might get a practice squad spot. And then another guy who they really like, too, is Benjamin Victor out of Ohio State. They really love this guy, Kyle. I think one of these two might uh, sneak on. And honestly, I don't think Corey Coleman is a, a lock. No, I wouldn't say he's a lock, you know, especially after having a torn ACL for the entirety of the 2019 season. Uh, he would have been instantly, you know, the kick returner. But these might be guys that could potentially even compete at that position. Uh, maybe not a starting receiver, but me and James, we were talking about it last week. You know, 10 picks, the Giants didn't necessarily address uh, these positions that they've really, uh, I, get you, uh, I guess you'd say tackle, no pun yeah. intended, uh, when it comes to undrafted free agents. Uh, in tight ends and receivers, but I do like the guys in which they signed. I do. Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor, I'm a big fan of. 100%. Uh, and James, uh, I have one last question to you, and then we're going to get Jordan up here for the Patriots. Uh, Giants went after a bunch of undrafted free agents. Obviously, they got Tyler Haycraft, who was the offensive tackle who played on the other side of the line to Mackay Beckton at Louisville. A couple of guys there of no two, Tyler Markway out of South Carolina. This week, the Giants claimed quarterback Cooper Rush off waivers from the Cowboys and will reunite with Jason Garrett. Reggie White Jr., the wide receiver, was raved, was raved, was waived as a result. James, the Giants don't play a divisional game until week five, and it is against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, do you see Cooper Rush being the third quarterback on this team? I know it may sound like a silly question, but in hindsight, this may benefit the Giants and scouting the Dallas Cowboys. 
you know, I, I think it will. I think he makes the roster as the as the backup's backup, um, yeah. the third the third backup. Um, I think he makes the roster just because him and Garrett have gone with each other for number of years. Um, but I also think it's going to help because week five, you think about it, that usually we play Dallas week one opening night. Um, but to play them week five, um, I think it will be very good scouting, especially for their offensive side. Um, now seeing everything for the past X amount of years between Garrett and um, Rush, I think we might have an edge over the Cowboys in week five. Yes, week five is white number of weeks away from week one from where they can kind of revamp their offense, but they will have some key plays that they know Dallas will be running. 100% James. I completely agree. It'll benefit the Giants and it's going to be a top division, the NFC East, as it always is. At this time, we are going to get our caller uh, all the way out from California, coast to coast, meeting up for the very first time. Jordan Spurgeon, a fan of the New England Patriots. Jordan, great to have you here on the show, buddy. Sweet. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I've been watching the beginning. You guys are doing some great stuff over here. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And we really appreciate you and taking the time for this tonight. Uh, we want to talk to you about your New England Patriots. Now, I know being from the West Coast, um, first of all, what is it like being a Patriots fan out there? How do the people in California react? You know, Because in the East Coast, I know I'm probably in the minority here. I'm probably the only person here that doesn't hate the Patriots. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, what's it like? Yeah, I mean, usually the first reaction is, are you a bandwagon? And I'm always like, well, no, my family's from Boston. I was born in California, but my uncles in Boston were sending me Patriots and Red Sox gear from the time I was, I don't know, a year or two years old. So I just kind of fell in love with them. So to me, I enjoy it because – out here in California, as far as football has gone, there hasn't been a lot of winning from Chargers fans and now with Rams fans. A little bit for a minute, but they're about to be a hot mess. And so I'm kind of glad that I'm a Patriots fan because being from the San Diego area in Southern California, I would have to switch teams if I was a Chargers fan because the disrespect they showed to San Diego. Um, I have a lot of fan, friend, friends like in that in-between zone now. So being a Patriots fan, it puts a target on my back for sure, but I enjoy it. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's definitely a good franchise to support uh, as Kyle James and Fonz cringe in their in the back of their mind. Uh, eh, not, not, <laughs> so, not as much. Not as much. I'm joking. Uh, Jordan. So what was your favorite pick for New England in this year's draft and how will he benefit New England in 2020? So I have to be honest, when I was watching the draft first run through most of these picks, a lot of the times I wasn't excited. But the more I thought about it. I trust Bill Belichick on what he's trying to do and rebuilding the team. Maybe retooling instead of rebuilding is a better word. Um, but one guy I really like just from watching is Josh Uche out of Michigan. Only one year as a starter and the numbers he put up um, his junior season making all Big Ten as a backup. I think he has such a high ceiling and he was hurt a lot in college with his lower body. So to be able to put him in this on this defense that was the number one scoring defense in football last year, which was a benefit of their easy schedule. I will I will say that, but I think putting him in that system is going to be a good fit for him. And much like some of the guys we lost in free agency, he's going to develop to be a playmaker down the road. But 2020, I think we could see him making a couple highlight plays here and there that'll just scratch the surface of what we'll see from him down the line. So you bring up Josh Uche, and they also drafted um, Anthony Jennings from Alabama, another edge guy right after him, I believe, in the third round. 
because uh, New England didn't have a first-round pick. They traded out. Um, Jennings and Ushay, the ability to rush the passer after the loss of Kyle Van Noy, how important is it that those two are now on the Patriots, and how will they fit into the rotation with other young edges like Chase Winovich? See, these guys were the perfect Bill Belichick drafted players. They're exactly, they're very similar to a Kyle Van Noy and a Landon Roberts and just the way they play the game and the way that they're kind of not highly scouted coming in. And so once they buy into that Patriot system, once they can finally get into OTAs and camp, which could be a few more months, but once they get there, they're going to fit this team perfectly. Now they become basically what Kyle Van Noy and those other players were a few years ago when they were cheap and more willing to buy into the system before going and getting a bigger day somewhere else, like in Miami or Detroit, where it seems like every Patriots defensive player wants to go follow Matt Matricia or Brian Flores. So, yeah. A couple ex-Giants in Detroit, too. Uh, Fun, do you have a question for Jordan? Yeah, so the Patriots did draft two tight ends uh, in the span of, I believe, 10 picks. Uh, 91, they got Devin Asias from UCLA, who I like a lot, and 101, uh, Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. Uh, do you expect, like, which tight end do you expect to make an impact right away, or do you think it'll be kind of similar to what the Pats have done in the past, where they both play right away? And, like, the when they did, like, the, the Gronk Hernandez for a couple of years, or when they had a bunch of other multi tight end sets, or do you think they're just going to stick with one? I'm glad you brought up the Gronk Hernandez on the field stuff they had for a while, because I feel like this could be a poor man's Gronk Hernandez. I don't think they're. The, the athletes that Gronk and Hernandez were in their peaks early on in their careers. But when you look at Devin Asiasi, he's six foot three, 260 pounds. He's already going to come in and immediately help the running game, which struggled last year with a hurt offensive line and tight ends that couldn't block. So he's going to make an immediate impact on the running game. And then when you look at Dalton Keene, he is honestly realistically a poor man's Aaron Hernandez because he can be lined up in so many positions. I think Josh McDaniels is going to put him in a spot to succeed. Um, you saw him at Virginia Tech play some running back, play some fullback. He can line up in the slot. Um, not a great blocker, but he's able to come in and make plays. So just the way the Patriots like to play on offense and their lack of healthy playmakers, because um, I do think they still have some playmakers, which we can talk about later on that offense. I think Dalton Keene um, will really make an immediate impact. Sorry, my. Are we good there? Still on. Uh, someone was trying to FaceTime me. No, but, no worries. Uh, no, I thought it was on no, my end. I was no, like, oh, no, no worries. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, working from yeah, home. Right? Yeah. yeah, Dalton Keene, I think he immediately comes in. He helps Jarrett Stidham or Brian Hoyer out immediately. I think he's going to um, be a good tight end for the Patriots down the line. I have one thing to say before I get to Kyle. Uh, it's crazy, too, because Asiasi and Keene were picked just within 10 picks of each other. New England went back-to-back on edges and then back-to-back on tight ends. Uh, Kyle, what is your question for Jordan? Jordan, well, Kyle Duggar out of Lenore Ryan, he, he had speeds, He definitely had speed to, speed to this defense. How do you think learning under McCourty and Chung will help this defense out, considering those are the older veteran guys of the team? So we look at the model the Patriots have gone after over the last few years as far as basically turning players in and out, especially on defense, in order to help rebuild that defense. Kyle Duggar has the ability to be a longer, more athletic Patrick Chung, especially if he learns from Patrick Chung. So Patrick Chung is getting up there in age. I think he's going to help Kyle Duggar develop um, a little bit quicker than he would and start honing in on his skills because I think he's already great in, in as far as being on de- uh, defending the pass, but his tackling's a little bit 
subpar right now from what i saw especially at the d2 level it should have been better than it already was going against lesser competition than division one athletes were so i think he's going to learn a lot from chunk mccordy as far as being able to become more of a sound tackler and fit into that defensive scheme um and eventually because of the way the patriots love to do business once patrick chung either wants more money or decides to retire he's going to be able to step in and become the anchor on that secondary for them 100 percent uh james you're up so after we saw uh, your franchise quarterback for, I believe, what, 20 years or so, um, left and went down south, uh, you think he will go down south to retire, but he went down south to play for another team. Um, do you see Jared Sidham as your next franchise quarterback, or do you see him as more of a placeholder to hopefully drafting a quarterback next season? I'll be honest, I've been torn this entire past month or so. I've been doing these daily videos, and it's come up multiple times in my head as far as what I think Bill Belichick's doing. And as much as we want to predict, oh, he's tanking, oh, he's going to stick with Stidham, we really don't know what's going on in his mind. My gut feeling tells me that Stidham can play. However, I didn't fall in love with his college tape, especially with the pieces he had around him in Auburn. I think he could have put up better numbers. Um, so I'm not sure he's the franchise quarterback going forward. I'll have a better feeling four or five weeks into the season, but I do see a scenario where the Patriots go six and 10, seven and nine this season, not really tanking, but just not having enough talent to win games on offense. So they're still building a winning culture, similar to what Miami did last year, where they thought they were tanking, but they just didn't have the, the players to actually win, even though they were building a winning culture. So if that happens and they end up, say, at number 10, number 11 with the 12 draft picks they have next year, I could totally see them making a move up to five or six. And Trevor Lawrence probably be off the board, but you have that quarterback from North Dakota State that's going to be really good, and you have Justin Fields. And with so many teams at the bottom of the league taking their future franchise quarterbacks the last three years, a lot of those teams that have bad records this year are already going to have their franchise quarterbacks. The only team I can think of that would need a quarterback would be Jacksonville, who's probably going to be a 2-14, and 3-13 and 13 team. So I can see a scenario where if they don't win this year and they don't see the development from Stidham, then they go out and take a quarterback next year for the future. So I'm not sure if Stidham's actually the guy for them. You know, Jordan, that's a very interesting point because obviously New England likes to build their quarterbacks uh, through the draft, at least historically over the past 20 years. Because really, obviously, they drafted Garoppolo and Brissett. Every quarterback that has filled in for Brady via injury, which hasn't been often, Matt Castle, another example, they've done fine. And it really speaks volumes to the system because obviously Belichick has been a head coach much longer than a defensive coordinator because, you know, <laughs> he used to be the Giants DC. Uh, and that's that's pretty much where the respect comes between the Giants and the Patriots. Um, now, do you have? Let's flip the tape here. Any questions you have for us on New England and how? Because we've done a little uh, research, and um, I, I want to hear what you have to say about uh, your team in New England. Yeah, just one point. I've talked about a little bit. Many were uh, ripping the draft or saying they didn't go ahead and draft any wide receivers in one of the deepest wide receiver classes in recent memory, if not ever as far as what all the scouts but we'll wait and see how this plays out but with Nikhil Harry who goes to who went who is a alumni of my school now Arizona State um, I think he still has potential there you have Julian Edelman and Mohamed Sanu both being healthy this year because last year they're both banged up is, do you guys feel the Patriots should have gone with the wide receiver because me personally I think they have enough firepower now for Jared Stidham to actually have a chance at success if everybody's healthy um, I'll chime in first, and I, I want to hear from uh, the other guys as well. Um, 
So here, here's my thing, Jordan. Um, obviously, you have Edelman, but you don't know what's going to happen, right? Because he's on the older side and his boys just left. Uh, Nikhil Harry, that's an excellent point. He could easily be the future number one wide receiver. Uh, they did sign that kid from Auburn as an undrafted free agent. I think Will Hastings is his name. I don't know if they got anybody else. They got uh, a couple of uh, undrafted. Isaiah Zuber, Zuber, right? Zuber. And uh, yeah. Jeff Thomas from Miami. That's another one, too. Jeff Thomas, too. Um, and then uh, Jordan Riley from Syracuse, I'm pretty sure. Sean Riley from Syracuse. Um, but, yeah, the Giants did the same thing, Jordan. They didn't draft wide receiver heavy in the draft. They took a similar route as New England and waited till undrafted free agency. I think you're right. History has shown you don't need star wide receivers to win a Super Bowl, quite frankly. Look what San Francisco did last year. They built their defense, and they were a run-first offense I'm going to be quite honest with you. They should have won the game. They should have won the game. But, look, I'm going to be honest. New England is a very, very tough schedule uh, this year. Kyle, what are your thoughts on New England's lack of uh, taking wide receivers in the draft? I think if it's any other team, you know, red flags start going up. But, you know, you look at New England's history and you just see most of the success in which they've had from receivers – were guys that they never even drafted. Randy Moss, for instance, Wes Welker, for instance, Danny Amendola. You know, these are the Patriots legends over the course of the last 20 years. They didn't draft them. And then Julian Edelman, that was a quarterback at Kent State that uh, that Bill Belichick turned around and made one of the top, top wide receivers over the course of the last decade um, and found a position for him on this Patriots team. So, like I said earlier, any other team, there would be skepticism, but for this team, you know, you have a solid core, Nikhil Harry. Uh, I loved him last year. I thought he was a great pick by the Patriots last year. He was um, hurt throughout the season. You know, hopefully he gets healthy this season, uh, kind of build a little bit of a connection with his um, first year starting rookie quarterback in Jared Stidham and, and Muhammad Sanu as well, who's been, who's been around the league a little bit. I, I know he's with Atlanta. I believe he's with one over one other team as well. I believe so. And they traded for him as well. You know, Bill Belichick gave up draft capital to get this guy last year because he felt like he was the guy that was going to help them reach that Super Bowl. Granted, they didn't get there. But if Bill Belichick is interested in you, that should be enough to know that you could have success in his system. And I think that down the stretch, you know, will they invest in a wide receiver? Potentially. But in the past, they haven't. They just haven't. 100%. Here's what makes New England, in my opinion, the best franchise. Um of this era and what makes Brady the best quarterback ever is you turn guys like a Wes Welker, a Julian Edelman, a Dante Stallworth, uh, Jabbar Gaffney into respectable players that make plays on your team. And all of a sudden Brady can make anyone good. And Jordan, I think you've seen it throughout your years growing up. It's there. I mean, it's not even just numbers. It's the way these guys run routes and get open um, and you look at the draft picks of what New England did last year. You're right. Maybe the, uh, this uh, two two weeks ago. Sorry about that. Um, from the fifth round onward, it was Justin Rohrwasser, kicker out of Marshall. Sixth round, they had three picks. Michael Onwenu, a guard out of Michigan. Another lineman was taken in Justin Heron from Wake Forest, the tackle. Cash Malua, linebacker from Wyoming. And then a third lineman, Dustin Woodward, a center out of Memphis. So right there. New England knows how football games are won. You have to dominate on both sides of the trenches. You have to dominate on the line. And uh, George shaking his head. You want to uh, 
piggyback off of that one? I just love what you're saying. That's That was my point with not drafting a wide receiver. Everybody fell in love with them because everybody loves skill positions. But Super Bowls are not won with star wide receivers. Who's the last Hall of Fame receiver that was on Super Bowl winning team? It was Jerry Rice. Other than that, you don't have Hall of Fame level receivers constantly being on teams that win Super Bowls. It's built through winning in the, in the trenches and in the defensive line. Why the Patriots struggle last year? Defensive line was inconsistent. The offensive line was often injured. Can it give Brady enough protection to turn his receivers into better playmakers? And so that's why I'm saying with Patriots, adding depth at the offensive line position, now hopefully they're healthy, but if they're not, they have some depth they drafted later in the draft that they will develop into better offensive linemen. And so that's why I'm okay with them not taking wide receivers. I just want to see what your thoughts were there. And I totally agree. They got to build the trenches up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, Jordan, do you know the last wide receiver to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl? Last wide receiver to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl? It's been, what, two or three Super Bowls now, hasn't it? Yeah. You know what? I don't know who it is. Chris, Chris Hogan. Yeah, that's right. Another guy the Patriots uh, turned into a respectable wide receiver. I'll say this, though. At least uh, I'll just chime in with that. I'm surprised at least, though, by the fifth, sixth round, you don't draft at least one of the wide receivers. I'm looking like K.J. Osborne, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Isaiah Hodges, capable wide receivers that could be could play some roles there for teams. I, I I get what the Patriots are doing. They aren't, they're not going to draft a skill guy in the first like two rounds, but I was surprised at least in the fifth, sixth, they wouldn't draft some wide receivers to bring in there too. I think they also got a Marquise Lee too that also will be competing, I believe. And I think they also have Jacoby Myers. So they do have the depth. So I'm kind of in the middle. I thought they would at least bring someone into the draft. Yeah, that's where I was at there. But overall, I like their draft. I mean, even bringing in Roarwater, that's a Patriots pick too. He was like the 10th kicker on most people's boards and he ends up being the first kicker off the board. But I've known two kickers in my life. It's been Benetary and Guskowski, and now a couple guys in between the last two years. But this draft, overall, I can't really judge the draft too much because I think Bill Belichick is playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers at this point. Um, we'll see what happens without Brady now, if he actually can build another football team. That's the real question, but I have all the faith that he can. What are your thoughts on him and Gronk teaming up in uh, Tampa Bay? How do they perform this year? So... I'm not going to lie. I I'm pretty realistic. I know the Patriots are not a Super Bowl team this year. And so part of me is totally down for the Tampa Bay being the first team to play at home in the Super Bowl. And Brady go out and get a seventh ring, spike Bill Belichick a little bit, who I have no problems with, but I get where some of his um, spike comes from. That just comes with the territory of being an all time great at a head coach and a quarterback. Of course, you're going to clash eventually surprising. It lasted 20 years in all honesty. But I think Gronk's a guy that gives him some familiarity, much like he did in 2018 at the Patriots. He'll make a couple plays throughout the year, but he'll make probably two of the biggest plays for them down the stretch in a big divisional game against the Saints or in the playoffs. And that's what he's there for. He's there to help build the run game, and he's there to be a security blanket when Brady needs to make a big throw. That's who he's going to go to. He's not going to go to Godwin. He's not going to go to Evans. He's going to go to Gronk if he's on the field in a big moment. So I think that's a good fit for them. Only giving up a fourth rounder, I mean, that was a perfect fit for the Buccaneers. 100%. I completely agree with you. And the Bucks have the ends, too, and Shaq Barrett and JPP. You have a good defense. You have veteran guys. Uh, Jordan, two two more questions for you here. Um, New England, they released Guskowski, right, in the offseason. Uh, they draft Justin Rohrwasser. I've watched the film on this guy, and he's pretty good. I mean, I, I don't want to get to the whole tattoo business thing, but um, he looks pretty solid on film. I like what I see out of this kid. Yeah, I started watching the film. I honestly, when I was doing my pre-draft stuff, didn't even cross my radar at all. Um, but once they drafted him, I sat down, started watching tape. 
I like what he's shown on film. He was 18 of 21 last year, um, but he also showed that he can kick in uh, like harsh conditions. So I think that's going to be um, super impactful in New England. We know many of the Super Bowls were won in the snow, in the playoff games with Adam Vinatieri, with some Steven Guskowski have a successful career in harsh conditions. And so I trust Warwater to make a 45, 50-yard field goal in the snow in December to help if they're up north somewhere, um, you know, whether they're in New England or Kansas City or somewhere like that, I would trust him to make those kicks based on what I saw in college. I think he's going to translate well into the NFL. And one thing that goes unnoticed, we always look at kickers and their field goals, but what he does in the kickoff game is going to be super impactful. I think that's why Belichick fell in love with him. He's really good at placing the ball and making sure that it's going to be difficult for those special teams guys to return it, which is going to be super beneficial for this team. 100%. Special teams is key, and that's what wins you games in the NFL uh, more often than not. Final question, Jordan. Uh, this is a question from all four of us that uh, I'm going to state here. What letter grade would you give New England in this draft? Ooh, I really hate grades and drafts, but if I'm going to give them a grade, because we're going to redraft the draft in two or three years. We're we'll right. going to redo it. But for now, I'm going to say a C plus to a C. I just think there were a couple guys on the board at certain spots that they could have gone after that I think would have made more sense for them, at least in immediately in the immediately for the 2020 season. So I not have to say a C plus or a C. I just think um, they could have done a little bit better helping the offense a little more, not waiting to draft your offensive lineman all the way in the sixth and seventh round for depth. I think they could have maybe attacked that earlier on. A guy like Josh Jones would have been great for them at 60 because they Houston. really need some help with depth. He goes 72 overall to the Cardinals instead. Someone like that at 60, I know they fell in love with Josh Uche, but someone, just looking at a guy like Josh Jones to me, that's one example of where they could have maybe picked somebody else. It's tough to keep agreeing, but I'm going to agree with you again. I'd have to say the C, C plus range. Uh, but Jordan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. What do you say we do this again sometime in the in the future? I definitely love to. Bring me on anytime. Uh, if you guys ever want to come on a podcast, I started a podcast recently. Just uh, follow me on Twitter at Spurge underscore, or you have my phone number now and uh, reach out for sure. But you guys are doing a great, great thing here, so keep it up. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'll definitely be interested and follow up with you about that. Uh, that was Jordan Spurgeon from California. Thank you very much. First time, guys. What do you think? Not bad. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, very good. Yeah, very good. I really, I really yeah. like what he what he brought to the table because a lot of the times with any fan in football, you get you get a lot of like uh, fluff. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying. You really. He really nutted down on the facts very nicely for us. Um, and I think being from a neutral location helps as well. You know, you you see things from a different perspective a little bit. Um, but, yeah, Jordan was great. And, uh, Kyle, I know your buddy Evan from high school actually works in the same radio station as him. So Yeah, they both go to Arizona State. But um, a lot of the points that Jordan brought up, they were just, they were just excellent, solidified facts. You know, a lot of people, they look to make points, but we got nothing behind it. But – this guy, he had an answer to every question. He had detail. He had answers. He had tape analysis of everything. And it's, it's very impressive. His dedication to his team for sure. And it's, um, you know, he brought up a lot of points that everybody's saying, you know, Bill Belichick, he's going to do what he's going to do. And at the end of the day, people may not agree with it, but it's going to be better than what they thought it was. And that's just bottom line. The fact. hundred yeah. um, percent. James, do you have any comments? He had more insight. Then, honestly, 
I would imagine, especially being on the West Coast. Mr. Timekeeper. Being, <laughs> um, being on the East Coast up in New England, where uh, all the Patriots fans are. Um, he gave great insight. I, I honestly loved his point about when I asked him about the quarterback, because that's probably Still, a lot of people's yeah. questions going into this season. Um, and he answered it, you know, spot on from, from my own reference. Um, so, yeah, I definitely enjoyed all his insight he had from the Patriots draft. Guys, listeners, watchers, comment on the stream. Tell us which team you'd like us to recap in their draft, and maybe we'll just do it next week for you. Uh, before we get Gabe up for the Minnesota Vikings, Fonz, I don't know if he's ready. Nice hair, by the way, Kyle Russo. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you for that comment, Earhart. By the way, I was going to comment. What are you wearing tonight? It looks, it looks like you uh, you dressed up for the occasion or something. <laughs> it's actually not. It's actually not dressing up for the occasion. This is a little bit of a comfortable night. You know, It's a little chilly in my house, so I got my nice fleece little uh, – Fleece little plaid uh, shirt on. Hey, listen, man, it, it's like wearing a carpet around you. It's it's very, very comfortable. I'm nice and warm as we're going here. Almost entering the second hour of the show. Very comfortable. Not dressing up for the occasion, just staying comfortable, you know? Yeah. Cool. Good but, Ahar, thank you for the commentary. I did it myself, man. I did it myself. So The Vikings fan has arrived. He's uh, here. <laughs> what's up, guys? How you guys doing? This is Gabe Flayton from Cornwall, New York, and uh, Gabe, a soon-to-be graduate from SUNY Albany. Congratulations. Congrats, man. It'll feel like a mountain is lifted off of me in about like five days. I'm in the peak of my finals right now. It kind of sucks. ton of essays. But once once I'm over that, it'll be just nice. It'll it'll feel like summer, you know? 100%. And, uh, yeah, and – you're you're rocking AP tonight, I can see. Yeah. Oh my God. This funny story. I just got this from my girlfriend's brother today. She uh, he was digging up his old clothes, throwing them out. Found an Adrian Peterson jersey, a Reebok one, nonetheless. This is from his prime, and I was like, I'll take that. It was it was this or good. It was me or Goodwill. So I got lucky there. Other news is um the PLL Premier Lacrosse League just got the NBC Sports gig. They replaced the Summer Olympics. I don't know if you heard about that. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah. Um, I think I got an email from work about that, actually. Yeah. I'm super excited about that, too. Yeah, that's that's insane. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Gabe. But uh, we have you here tonight to yeah. talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Um, the Vikings had 15 draft picks. Now, Gabe, when you and I did our mocks, we went in, and they had 12 at the time. And now they got a three additional <laughs> picks. Uh, thanks to a trade with the Saints, I believe. Um, at the conclusion, 15 picks is insane, Gabe. That's over 30% of the roster nowadays, With uh, even with the 55 men now. Uh, all right, so we're going to go back and forth here. Gabe, first question. You ready? Um, nine picks were defensive players. Which, the, which defensive player stands out to you the most? So... The strategy on defense was kind of get the pass rushing and the cornerbacks. So what I thought the bet, the best value for the pick we got was in the third round with Cameron Dantzler, cornerback from Mississippi State. He on on tape was phenomenal. He is long, rangy. He's six two, one hundred ninety pounds. Resembles physically like an Xavier Rhodes 
in uh, size, but what he brings is way more ball skills than Oates had. I think Cameron Dantzler versus Jeff Gladney, it's kind of a big, small combo. Gladney isn't going to be able to go up against a super tall receiver when it comes Sunday, but you can put Dantzler on him. He can guard anybody from 6'5 to, down to 5'10". I think Dantzler was the most impressive for where we got him in the draft. 100%. I love the Cameron Dantzler uh, pick game. Now, uh, before I get any further, and I know the guys have some questions for you too, Carter Coughlin and Shane Lemieux, two guys I had going to the Vikings, both go to the Giants. Um, and I picked the Ezra Cleveland pick right on the money. How impressed were you with me individually? Not to play myself up here, but how impressed were you when he just wants to hear the comments? Here we go. 58, 58 overall. I, I wasn't surprised because I know you you know the Vikings. You probably know the Vikings better than anybody else besides me that I know. You you've studied them so much. They're my second I, favorite team. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it wasn't surprising because um, at the same time, that was you. You said he could very well go in the first round. Also, uh, it wasn't surprising that they they got him. What was surprising was that he was there that late. Uh, Cleveland is he's really any team can benefit from having a guy like Cleveland. I think he's a prototypical left tackle in the NFL. He looks like a like a starting left tackle in the NFL. He's rangy. He doesn't have the longest arms. You mentioned that to me, but he's tall. And he has the, the slender body of a left tackle that can guard like a Khalil Mack who can block a, a skinnier, more hybrid 3-4 defensive end outside linebacker. He's got amazing footwork. So I know you mentioned his, his lack of arm length and his hands are small too. He's in the second percentile for arm length and hand size. He's got Joe Burrow hands. <laughs> hands like almost our size. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's got a phenomenal footwork, uh, which I think makes up for his ability to not have the longest arms. I'd agree with that. Funds, you're on the clock here. Question for Gabe. <laughs> so I know Jeff Thomas was the big selection of the wide receiver spot, but I want to talk about another wide receiver, a guy that I'm actually a fan of because I am a University of Miami Hurricanes fan. They got K.J. Osborne in the fifth round, used to play at Buffalo, transferred to Miami senior, led the team in – but led Miami with 547 yards. I've been a fan of him for a while. I think he can make an immediate impact on the team. I just want to know what are your thoughts on KJ Osborne? Do you think he'll make an impact right away, or do you think it'll take a year or so? Or maybe he may, may even make the roster because of 15 picks might have a slim chance. He looked phenomenal. He, I think, he was also a huge steal for the Vikings. I didn't realize until I saw after I saw his Miami highlights. I didn't know that he was actually a Buffalo uh, player as well. He was very he, good. He he evolved or he translated his talent from Buffalo to an ACC school really well. He looks he looks smooth when I watched him play. He made he adjusted to the ball from every angle so well. He had a really impressive goal line catch where he caught it right near the pylon and right on the like inch yard line and snuck it out over the uh, yeah. pylon for a touchdown. He, he resembles just the kind of player who can make acrobatic catches. He's short, undersized. He's not, he doesn't have the greatest like vertical leap. I saw it. You're not going to throw a goal line fade to him. But for a Viking system that's so check down and short pass oriented because Cousins really doesn't have a cannon for an arm, 
I think in the play action, I think Osborne, he loves to go over the middle. I think that'll be a huge uh, help. We have a lot of guys who can go over the middle and make a catch in traffic. It's that's I, it, that's the a big criticism right now of the Vikings is do they have too much slot receiver talent and not enough wide receiver talent? Uh, Osborne, I don't think gives us that wide out um, assistance we need, but he's a great player for in the slot for sure. I'll, I'll say with, with Osborne when he came into Miami, like he commanded the locker room, the receiving core right away because they needed that maturity, and he was the leader right off the bat. So that's something also like the character wise, he can be very good in the locker room too. That's something yeah. at the wide receiver position. I think we gained so much maturity and championship pedigree from after losing Diggs. Uh, I think at the receiver position, we have so much more maturity and character now. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with you there. At this time, top of the hour, a quick reminder tonight, uh, our show is dedicated to John Stewart Mondello, who passed away two weeks ago tonight, EMT fighting the front lines of the coronavirus, very close friend to mine. That's why you see the background image with all the pictures of me and John. Hold this show very dear to my heart tonight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and supporting me throughout the week. And the Mondello family, most importantly, I love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, But now we'll carry on. Uh, Just wanted to plug that in there for the top of the hour to remind people. um, Gabe. You were a part of our NFL draft video challenge, and you had the funniest video by far with the Jeff Gladney pick. I, I, I was almost bawling my eyes out when you brought that up. Uh, you actually predicted Jeff Gladney, but it's 22, I believe, not 31. So kudos to you for getting that just about on the money. Uh, is Jeff Gladney an immediate starter on this team, and what impresses you about him the most? Well, I— one highlight that really stood out to me was when they sent him on a cornerback blitz. And he, what he did was he faked going cover three. He like backpedaled about seven yards off the receiver. And then right before the snap comes up on press coverage, looks like he's going to press cover the receiver, gets sent on a blitz like a missile. Jeff Gladney explodes, sacks the quarterback, forces a fumble. I think Jeff Gladney reminded me, and it was that sack that reminded me of a Viking all-time great, Antoine Winfield Sr., who was known for shooting like a missile, tackling players, receivers, and sacking the quarterback. I remember there was a Tuesday night game years ago, a Tuesday night game because the Metrodome collapsed, where the Vikings, it was Joe Webb's coming uh, coming of age for the Vikings when they played the Eagles with Mike Vick at Lincoln Financial, Antoine Winfield had a sack off a blitz, stripped the quarterback, Mike Vick at the time, and brought it back for a touchdown. He resembles a lot of Antoine Winfield with his physicality. He's undersized. Some would say he's not as athletic as most uh, corners are. He doesn't run a great 40, but what he has is amazing toughness. He has the intangibles. He's intelligent. He's gritty. He is always where he needs to be. He's at the right place at the right time. Uh, He's got the ability to play cover two, like Antoine Winfield Sr. was so good at, and also play man. Mike Zimmer, we know, is a huge press cover, pin your ears back, defensive end kind of guy. He likes to send pressure on the secondary and with his defensive ends. I think with a team that has such a good pass rush, having good press corners is so important because it gives you – that time in between uh, the quarterback having the ball to not have a receiver open. So you're, you're uh, trusting your defensive ends to get to the quarterback and trusting your corners. 
I, I love the pick because it's just the prototypical Mike Zimmer corner. Uh, and we've, we've whiffed on corner recently, in my opinion, with um, Mike Hughes, I think was a whiff. He was a first-round draft pick. Uh, and Xavier Rhodes didn't end up panning out all too well in the recent years. Trey Waynes never really was the Mike Zimmer guy. He was not physical. I think, uh, I think with Cam Dantzler and Jeff Gladney, we have two really good immediate starting corners. So Mike Hughes is still on the roster, right? I'm pretty sure. He's like the most significant corner they have left. He's slated as a starter on the depth chart. He, he's, he's not – he's really he, – he doesn't resemble a starting cornerback. He's a nickel corner. Yeah. My, I mean, he's very undersized. He's very fast. But what I've come to realize from studying the drafts and you kind of inspired me to do it is like there's two different kinds of speeds. There's game speed and then there's draft combine speed. Cam Dantzler runs a 4.64. Jeff Gladney ran a 4.5. Uh, That's not really incredibly fast, but they make up for it in game speed. And intelligence, intelligence, in my opinion, makes up for lack of speed because if you know where the ball is going to be, it makes up for the speed that you might not have to get there. I think that's an excellent point, Gabe. Uh, Kyle, you have a question for Gabe? Yeah, Gabe, uh, we've had you on a few times now, man, and – I don't know if we had you on prior to the draft. I know that we had you during, I believe so. Actually, no, we did have you prior to the draft. But I don't know if we mentioned the Stefan Diggs trade. You know, me personally, I love this trade for the Minnesota Vikings because of the fact that I knew that in the first round they were going to wind up taking a receiver. They wind up grabbing Justin Jefferson. But now with all those picks, man, I, I think that you have to agree with me when I say they absolutely cashed in. I think they had easily a top three draft. With all these defensive acquisitions, uh, offensive acquisitions, addressing the offensive line, um, you know, you talked about it not having Xavier uh, Xavier Rhodes there anymore, uh, not having uh, Trey Waynes there anymore, Linval Joseph. It seems like they all, they addressed all needs. Me personally, one of my favorite picks by this Minnesota Vikings team is Troy Dye. I love Troy Dye out of Oregon. Uh, four years starter out of Oregon, Pac-12 guy. I think this is a fantastic pick. I think he's an immediate starter for this Minnesota Vikings team. What a you think he was one of these sleeper picks for the Minnesota Vikings? Yes. Oh, my God. I, I, I was shocked. I think it's the Pac-12 bias. I think there's a serious Pac-12 bias with the draft. Um, players from the Pac-12 are just not seen as instant starters. That's why you see so many guys from the SEC go so early in the draft. Even guys who come off the bench in the SEC seem to, to go quicker than starting players in the Pac-12. Uh, Troy Dye, you mentioned, was – uh, resembles physically a lot of Anthony Barr, who is also a Pac-12 guy uh, from UCLA, played running back in his first couple years at UCLA. Troy Dye is super lean, super long. Can co- he has a lot of range. That's what I like today. You need a, you need a kind of a, a linebacker who can cover the whole field very quickly, laterally. Um, and he's a four-year starter, Troy Dye. So he's got the intelligence. A lot of the guys we got are mature players. That's what makes this draft so well for the Vikings is because we got a lot of players who are mature. And in a time of crisis like we are now, you can't really get projects because it's going to be hard to develop these guys quickly. And especially when you're a team that's really trying to win a championship in the next two years, the Vikings really did well getting players who are mature, ready to play right away. I really, really like that point you just brought up about the maturity of these players, especially during a time like this, because we don't know. Uh, rookie minicamp is virtual. So 
we don't know what training camp is going to be. And you've seen all the schedules released. There's much fewer divisional games at the beginning of the season. I know some divisional teams are going to have to play against each other the first couple of weeks. But the Giants, for instance, don't have a divisional game till week five. They almost always open up the season against Dallas. I'm not sure what Minnesota's case is. I think they open up against Green Bay at home, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then they – yeah, okay. Uh, just wanted to make sure. But um, building off a Troy Dye game, Kyle brought this point up. And honestly, he was one of the steals for me too. You look at this guy. He has a legitimate chance to start alongside Hendricks. Um, Kendricks, pardon me. Um they really did a good job of drafting other guys on defenses as well. The, Ken, uh, the Kenny Willickis pick got an A, the edge rusher out of Michigan State. Um, talk about guys like him, Troy Dye, James Lynch, and even Wanum, the edge, how they'll fit into this defensive line rotation, especially with the question marks still surrounding big man Everson Griffin. Yeah, we got – the Baylor all-time sack leader with James Lynch. He is a tank. He is he is the kind of guy on a third and nine you want to have on your edge. He, when he pins his ears back, he will get to the quarterback in a short amount of time. I think with the Wanham pick, that was more of a project. He's from South Carolina. Didn't see a ton of highlights of him, um, but he's another guy who built like a tank. Um, really tenacious pass rusher. I love we, – we have great rotation now at our pass rushing. Instead of having Everson Griffin now, what we got was essentially three to four pass rushers who can now revolve in a rotation. We don't have a single guy opposite Daniel Hunter that is going to jump out at you. And with the Willikis, too, great guy to have when your, your tackles opposing right tackle or left tackle is tired. Throw in Willikis as well. He's another grinder. I think we just got really tenacious guys um, who have the heart, not necessarily the physical traits of um, of a first round or second round D end like Yator, Gross, Matos. Um, but we got guys who are grinders, and that'll fit in the Zimmer system really well. He makes all of his uh, all of his defensive linemen really good. He develops them well. I love that point, James. You have a question for Gabe? So. Um, how surprised are you that Anthony Harris is still on your team at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think he's there for his leadership. I think I don't know if we necessarily need to pay him as much as he's getting paid because we have such good. We have Harrison Smith back there, too. Um, I think he's there because he's just a guy who's been in the system a while he he worked his way up from being an undrafted uh, player. So anytime a guy who's undrafted works his tail off to become a, a PFF number one player, I think it, it's a sign of leadership, a guy you want to have in your locker room. Um, I'm surprised because he's he, he wants a lot of money that we don't we can't really give him. Um, and he's at a, a very, I guess, a position that's not as needed as other positions like uh corner and defensive end uh i am su- surprised i'm i'm surprised that he wasn't i guess a little a- more angry that we didn't give him a long-term extension <laughs> for being honest yeah you know that's an excellent point because uh and james thank you very much for bringing that question up because quite frankly 
Uh, Gabe, you and I pretty much had it guaranteed that Anthony Harris was a goner. Yeah. That Anthony Harris was a goner come this uh, draft. Um, I just don't understand why, what the thought process was for Minnesota getting all these additional picks, but still managing to keep Harris. I didn't, I didn't really get it. It was, it was what they were going to have to do is if he's franchise tagged for this year, there's no way we're going to be able to resign him to an extension next season. We're going to have to use like an Xavier McKinney type pick for uh, what the Giants use to maybe get the best safety in next year's draft, a guy who can come right in, play right away. Um, we, what I thought initially was we were going to get Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, but I'm actually glad we didn't with how the draft shaped up uh, because he would have been really nice to have legacy player having his dad be on the Vikings. Uh, but I'm not going to complain that he's on the team. It'll, it'll be nice to have him for one more year. But it, giving him a contract extension at 28 years old of maybe four years, you, you're not going to get the productivity in four years or three, even three years that you're, you're getting you know, right now. Gabe, any questions you have for uh, me here? Um, Vikings questions, I assume? Yes. Um, okay. Uh, do you think we should have addressed the, um, the interior offensive line a little earlier? Because I know I had Cesar Ruiz going in the first round. Obviously, was definitely not the case in the draft, and no pundit ever had him going. But I was just – I threw it out there because I really wanted to, to uh, better our – our interior line. So my question is, what do the Vikings, what should they do about their interior offensive line, which we know is, is really bad? Right. Well, didn't they draft Bradbury last year? Yes. Uh, I'm pretty sure. So they did a draft that early last year. And eventually, if Cleveland pans out at that left tackle position, Gabe, Riley Reef can slide into left guard. And I think guards are more replaceable than tackles. Uh, as strange as that might sound to say, because Josh Klein is going to be hard to replace. Um, but you still have Brett Jones. There's depth right there. I don't think that'll necessarily make or break your team this year, especially with the Dre Packers just have. Um, yeah, I, I really thought they would have went after a guy like Tyler Bayadas from Wisconsin or a Matt Hennessy from Temple, uh, maybe even a Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU. But I think the Vikings, Gabe, had so many additional needs on defense, I think you'd rather be talking about, well, I don't feel great about the interior line than, oh, I don't feel great about my defense. You yeah. know? I, um, I, right yeah. now, we, we, really, we really are uh, – we're looking at Dakota Dozier or uh, Drew Samia starting at, at our guard position. And Elfline, who is one of PFF's worst uh, pass blockers, uh, Brad – Barry was one of PFF's worst centers. I think last year I was watching one of the uh, Sunday night games. PFF had him as 31st out of 32nd centers in the league. So our interior line is is shaky. Kirk Cousins needs that time in the pocket. Um, I think Ezra Cleveland is going to end up starting a lot sooner than he thinks. And I think, like you said, I think Riley Reef is going to get bumped over. Not sure what we're going to do with Elfline, Samia, and Dozier at right guard, though. 100%. I think that might be a small issue, but looking at the picks that the Vikings got, the first pick, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver. Let's talk about him for a minute. How great does the Stefan Diggs trade feel knowing that Jefferson was the pick that's going to start alongside Dillon? 
Yeah, I completely agree with you and Kyle, who alluded to how good that trade was. It was a phenomenal trade because we got a player who does the things Stephon Diggs literally did. He's he's really a, a, a very close copy of Stephon Diggs. I think what makes Jefferson better in a lot of ways is his character, his intangibles, his toughness, uh, and the fact that he just doesn't have the ego that Stephon Diggs had. Stephon Diggs, after he scored, I watched. I had to watch, go back, you know, and reminisce about the days of Stephon Diggs. I watched a highlight tape of him. Every touchdown, he's he would do something that would warrant an unsportsmanlike conduct or excessive celebration. Uh, and that's fun to have when he's, you know, when he's doing great. But then you realize, like now in hindsight, that was the the really what was the problem was that this was the kind of person he was. He wasn't he when he was doing great, he was really happy. But when he wasn't getting the ball, he was making everybody's lives miserable on that team. Right. And same with Xavier Rhodes on defense. He was the same kind of player. Uh, it, cameras panned to them a lot of them being really angry on the sideline, yelling at people, blaming others. And Kirk Cousins is a nice guy, a genuinely good dude. And when you put a guy like Diggs on his side, uh, it's just not – they don't go together well. Just doesn't gel, yeah. And so I just think Justin Jefferson, he's that guy who can run after the catch like Diggs. He can turn a a five-yard slant into a touchdown of 40 yards. Um, He's – more consistent, in my opinion, than Diggs. When I, you know, Diggs was kind of a big player bust uh, guy on Minnesota. You know, against the 49ers in that playoff game, I, I think he had just one catch for four, which was a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have a lot of catches in that game. He just kind of disappeared a lot. Justin Jefferson is a guy who doesn't disappear. He's just right. a pass catcher. He catches a lot. He's a volume catcher, and that's what I like about him. And he would rather turn a four-yard catch, in my opinion, into a seven-yard catch, whereas Diggs would try to turn a four-yard catch into an 80-yard catch. I think Jefferson just is a smarter player uh, and has less of an ego than Diggs. I really like that. Quickly, let's run through the Vikings draft picks here. Jefferson and Gladney both went in the first round. Second round, they took Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. Third round, Cameron Dantzler, cornerback out of Mississippi State. That's Gabe Flayton's sleeper. Fourth round via San Francisco, DJ Wanu, an edge out of South Carolina, more of a defensive end. And then James Lynch, the pick acquired from the Saints, defensive tackle out of Baylor, the Baylor all-time single-season sack leader. Uh, Troy Dye in the fourth round as well out of Oregon, great linebacker. Then you go into Harrison Hand from Temple, uh, fifth-round guy, followed up by K.J. Osborne, Blake Brandell, an offensive tackle out of Oregon State, in the sixth round, and then Josh Metellus, a safety out of Michigan, who I think could be a solid backup special teams player for Minnesota. Kenny Willekes, a uh, defensive end for Michigan State. And then the other three of the four seventh-round picks, Nate Stanley, cornerback, quarterback out of Iowa, Brian Cole, safety out of Mississippi State, so more depth, and then Kyle Hinton, an offensive lineman out of Washburn. Gabe, any reaches here? Um... Any reaches? I think, I, I mean, it's hard to say. I think everybody we got, where we got them, we were very content with. When we didn't, I, I, wouldn't, I would say we had none just because when we did um, have a pick where we would have reached, we, we traded back. Um, what we're not seeing is we had a lot of picks in this draft where they didn't happen at all. We turned them into picks in 2021. 
So I think we were conservative for the most part with where we drafted people. I think maybe Chuck Gladney in some projections was projected as a second rounder, not a first rounder. But there's really definitely no guarantee we would have gotten him in the second round. So I think everything – I mean I love, the, I love Rick Spielman. I think he's done everything right. I don't think we had uh, any problems with this draft or any reaches. I completely agree. I think the Vikings definitely had a top two to three draft. What, what do you guys think about Minnesota? I think they did. I mean, they did a good job. I do like all the picks that they made here. A lot of depth guys. And when you have 15 draft picks, uh, not, all of them not are going to start right away. They're going to have a, a lot of depth guys. So overall, I think the Vikings did a, a very solid job. And I mean, went from 12 picks to 15 while also trading for more picks down the line. That Jefferson pick was huge. I thought the Eagles were going to get him like right there. And I'm like, yep, going right to the Vikings. It's a perfect landing spot for him. And the Jeff Gladney uh, pick also was, was very good also. I got to say, Gabe, when Jefferson was getting picked, Philadelphia was on the clock. And then Jefferson was on the phone. So then everybody thought he was going to Philadelphia. Yeah. Two, minute, two minutes later, Gabe texts me. He's like, yeah, he was on the phone with the Vikings. <laughs> um, Gabe, so if you had to give a, a letter grade. What was that? Sorry, uh, you went out. What did you say? No, I was going to say, do you have a draft letter grade for the Vikings? A letter grade? Um, well, I would say I would give us an A minus because we're not we, we weren't perfect. We, you never could be perfect. But I think we did everything. Um, we there. There's always going to be positions you can't you can't fill. We over. I think we may have overcompensated for the cornerback position. We got three corners, but we also lost roughly three corners. So I, I don't think we. Uh, I really think we were borderline perfect in this draft. Honestly, I agree. Any final thoughts for Gabe, guys? No, I think he did a great job. We're always good to have him on here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it so much. I'm having withdrawals so much of football. (laughs) I I was looking into tickets for the Vikings on Christmas Day. They're playing on Christmas Day this year uh, on a Friday night, which is unreal, unheard of, really, in the NFL. So I, I would love to go there. My birthday is on the 24th of December. If I could turn that into a birthday slash Christmas present, oh, man, I would be so happy. <laughs> I remember that. Gabe's birthday is on Christmas Eve. But, Gabe, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we will have you back on again soon, of course. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too, man. You too, Gabe. That was Gabe Flayton, Cornwall, New York. Gabe bringing up the content as always. Gabe always has a large smile on his face, and uh, always happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, he's always happy to be here. You know, I, I met Gabe on New Year's Eve last year, and um, you know, we pretty much just started talking sports. And, and hey, you know, um, I, I've been lucky to be on his show as, as well uh, when he had his show up at Albany. But uh, yeah, very smart kid when it comes to football, and I know. He likes to talk about other teams as well, so maybe at some point we'll get him on to do that. Uh, but at this time, Fonz, you were on the hot seat. Oh, no. You were getting oh. all of the questions now. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm ready. You are, quote-unquote, in the mix. Um, thank goodness you don't have any punishments left. 
Uh, okay, you sure. So I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good. Actually, Fonz, there is one. Oh no, 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 no! no. That's a <laughs> bullface lie. <laughs> well, we do know the schedule was released, and the Ravens do play the Titans in 2020. Of course they do. Just a heads up, and that's probably going to be one of their two losses of the season. Oh, it's not. It's a revenge game. Come on, don't do that. <laughs> okay, so the Ravens had 10 draft picks. Um, the Ravens. Uh, in the first round, the second round, they took uh, J.K. Dobbins, a running back out of Ohio State. Then they had four picks in the third round. Mm-hmm. They took Justin Matabu from Texas A&M, defensive tackle, Devin Duvernay, wide receiver out of Texas, linebacker Malik Harrison out of Ohio State, and then Tyrese Phillips, an offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. They rounded out the draft, fourth-round pick. Ben Bredesen, a guard from Michigan, Fifth-round pick, Roderick Washington Jr., defensive tackle out of Texas Tech. And their last two picks came from the Vikings, James Proach, sixth-round wide receiver out of SMU, and Geno Stone, the seventh-round safety out of Iowa. Fonz, I want you to break down this draft for us quick and give us your general thoughts on some of these picks. Well, you know, I really wanted him. I said it to get a receiver in the first round, but when I saw Patrick Queen was falling down, I thought he would go to the Seahawks. The Seahawks went for a reach and got Jordan Brooks. I'm like, all right, we got Patrick Queen. I kind of like this. It replaces the middle, kind of replaces the CJ Mosley. We got him. That was perfect. You get in the second round, and at that point, I'm like, all right, let's get a receiver like a Michael Pittman or a Denzel Mims or, or whatnot. They go for J.K. Dobbins, which was weird. I said they were going to take a running back in the third, fourth round, but this is what the Ravens kind of do. The first round, they always get team need. They always address that first. When you get to the second round or whatever, they don't care about what position it is. It's always who's the best guy available. And at that point, at 55, it kind of was J.K. Dobbins, even though you're like, they they might not need a running back, but you saw what happened with Mark Ringer when he was down. They did not have any depth at running back after that. J.K. Dobbins is a perfect fit for them. This actually pick was in the – they traded Hayden Hurst for the 55th pick, and it turned out to be J.K. Dobbins. So he basically traded uh, Hayden Hurst for a solid running back who I think can replace Mark Ingram. Definitely, you know, Mark Ingram is up there in age. He leaves in a couple of years. Then J.K. Dobbins is going to be your main guy too. They went for Devin Duneray in the third round, who I like. It's a speed guy, not the big body target, which is good though. Him and Marquise Brown is a good uh, one-two punch there. Tyree Phillips is a good project, that offensive tackle that they can uh, go in there too. Um Let's see here. Uh, apparently, I guess they, they can't hear me. Can you guys hear me, though? I can hear you fine. Uh, viewers, can you hear Fonz? That Comment is weird. Yes I don't no. know why, because the sound is coming up perfectly on my thing. This is a, this is a little bit awkward. Let me go check this out quickly. Uh, Tommy McNamara says he cannot hear you. So, but um, Man, It's weird, because my thing, is pop, my thing is coming up perfectly. Can you guys hear me now? This is very weird. Yeah. It was yeah. working, but uh, Gabe was able to hear me earlier, too. But I guess you guys – all right. So anyway, let me get back in just while I fix up the OBS here. Uh, sorry about that, uh, Tom McNamara. I hope you can hear me now. So um, he says he still can't hear me, but it's picking up on the OBS, and you guys can hear me too. Uh, should I just keep going with everything that's going on? I don't, yes. I don't know what to do. Yep. All right. So we'll, we'll keep going. All right. We'll, we'll keep going with this now. So Devin Duderay, I do like the pick. I did like that a lot. Malik Harrison, who was a second-round grade, drops to the third round. Another good, reliable uh, backup there. And another uh, interesting pick here in the sixth round, James Proch, wide receiver from SMU. Guys, yep. you want to know his? You want to know his uh, drop rate? His percentage? He only dropped one percent of passes thrown to him in his career. 
just wow. like the one. So this guy, he what happened in the playoffs against the Titans? No one can catch the ball. What do they get? They had to get a guy like James Prost who can be a reliable catcher, pass catcher. So overall, very solid draft. I did like the guard they selected in the fourth round. And Geno Stone in the seventh round are a good special teamer there too. Uh, I guess Tom says he can hear me now, so this is good. Maybe I have to go a little bit closer to the microphone. We'll fix that down the line. But overall, <laughs> I think the Raiders did a very good job. They didn't do team needs after round one. They kind of spent who's the best guy available. I think you're going to get a lot of depth guys and guys who can contribute right away, especially those two wide receivers. I'm looking forward to seeing them. And Dobbins, of course. Very well done, Fonz. Um, Kyle Rousseau, any questions for Fonz on the Baltimore Ravens? Not a question, but Fonz, you know, I got to say, um, I am jealous of your organization. I'm jealous. You know, Ozzie Newsom has been nailing it for the past decade plus. Eric DaCosta comes in first season as the GM. And listen, I said the Vikings had one of the top three. I think the Ravens nailed it on the head. I think they had the best draft in the entire NFL, to be personally honest with you. I think they absolutely nailed it with almost every single pick that they made. Patrick Queen, you know, I had him drafting Kenneth Murray, but Kenneth Murray uh, went a little earlier to the Chargers. Uh, Patrick Queen, excellent linebacker. J.K. Dobbins, this is this is. I think he's the best running back in the entire draft. You yeah. know, I had them taking personally in my Ravens mock draft. I had them taking Jonathan Taylor, and we talked about this. Was this a need for the Ravens um, in the second round? And like you said, Fonz, it wasn't a need. It's just this was the best guy available, and that can never hurt your team. You know, the Ravens are a team, and Fonz, maybe you could bag me up on this or support me on this. They're a team that really didn't have many weaknesses, you know, besides receiver depth. Yeah. Maybe linebacker, too. The second running back, maybe. Maybe, yeah. But, yeah, overall, there's no really – yeah, I said it. Uh, Wide receiver, maybe an interior lineman to develop down the line. But, yeah, over – like you said, there really wasn't a huge glaring need that they had to address right away. One of my favorite – sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. One of my favorite picks from from this Ravens draft was Justin Matabuke at Texas A&M. You know, this was an excellent, excellent, excellent player. I believe he had 11 and a half sacks this year and 11 and a half sacks uh, last year as well. Just an excellent player, third round value pick. Um, really good player for this Ravens defense. Yeah, I like Matabuke a lot too. He was graded like an early second rounder too. Um, much like Dobbins was kind of an early second rounder, late first rounder, if anything. And again, these guys fall right into the Ravens' lap too. Uh, it really, just I, I do like Matabuke. I think he could eventually start right away. And a lot, a lot of these other guys too, I could definitely see them being starters down the line. I really like what Baltimore did in this draft. I love the Patrick Queen pick that fell right into their lap. I believe a lot of us had Kenneth Murray going to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, James, James, who did you have the Ravens taking in the first round of your mock? Do you remember? Um, you know what? If you give me two seconds, I can pull that up and let you guys know. Um, I don't remember offhand because we made that so long. We did a lot of mock drafts. To, we did uh, do a lot of mock drafts. Terrell Lewis. Terrell Lewis, James. Terrell Lewis. Terrell Lewis. I remember Terrell. Terrell Lewis. Yep. Yeah, that, that would have been a solid option. I don't. I'm drawing a blank on where he ended up going. Uh, I I don't remember the team. I don't want to say the wrong team, but it would have not have been a bad pick too. But I mean, the Patrick Queen one was. It fell right into the lap. Kenneth Murray, very good to the Chargers, but I mean, that was the second best option at linebacker. I want to say the Rams took Terrell Lewis because yeah, I know the Rams, to the Rams took an edge rusher from Alabama. He went, yeah. he went to the Rams. Fonz, yeah. uh, my question for you. Um, Ken Dobbins, obviously Mark Ingram is on the wrong side of 30. Mm-hmm. Ken Dobbins split into his carriage. I definitely think so. I mean, when you look at the running back, it's now a running back by committee. 
I mean, name every single Super Bowl team. And did they have the bell cow number one guy probably back in the day? Not necessarily now. I mean, I keep we make fun of the Patriots, but they had four or five running backs they can do a rotation with no matter what. I mean, one game one game it was Rex Burke, and the next it was James White literally in that Super Bowl. So it's something that they're going to try to do now, kind of split the carries out a little bit, give Ingram maybe a little bit more, and then as the season progresses, switch it over to Dobbins, and then maybe next year or the year after, fade out with Ingram and have Dobbins come in. But, yeah, it's going to be a running back by committee. That's something that the Ravens kind of need to do now. 100% agree with you there, Fonz. My next question for you. Did the Ravens add enough offensive firepower by not taking a wide receiver until round three? Now, obviously, we know this draft class was stacked. Uh, DuVernay had 106 catches last year in 2019. Where, where do you see him fitting into this depth chart, and is that enough? You know, I mean, I, the Devin Dunaray one, I did like the pick. I, I like, I told like the show a couple weeks ago, I'm like, I want them to get Denzel Mims or another receiver. But Dunaray is not a bad option right now. He is a good player. I think he could maybe be the third wide receiver. I think it's right now it's going to be Marquise Brown. Willie Sneed's going to be your veteran leader. Dunaray is going to be the third guy. They do have two other guys. Jaleel Scott is another third year guy now looking here to make an impact. And uh, I, I believe then it's going to be James Prost, the other guy, too, because Seth Roberts is no longer there. But, yeah, I thought they were going to go wide receiver in the second round, at least at this point. But, you know, they wanted to go with the speed guy in Dunore. But he does have, like you said, 106 catches, right? Just to, if I heard you correctly, that's a lot of catches. That's something that they, they need a guy. They need a guy that's a reliable wide receiver. I mean, the Ravens, I can't name the last time we've had a regular, consistent 1,000-yard receiver. It's been rotation with Anquan Bolden, who never really had a thousand yards, but was always there. Torrey Smith never had a thousand yards, but was reliable. Steve Smith, Steve Smith Senior, was reliable at his age, but really never broke the thousand yard mark. Too, there was never that yeah. consistent thousand yard guy. So that's something that they want to kind of go after now, and that's something they can see maybe with Marquise Brown and Dunaray. I agree. Uh, it's not always important to take a wide receiver right away, especially with how stacked this draft class was. Speaking of the wide receivers they got, though, you brought up James Proche earlier. Over the past two years, this guy had 204 catches combined. Yeah. Uh, where do you see him fitting into this? What do you expect from him? You know, I mean, like I said before, he only dropped 1%. I think it was even less than that of passes that were like eligible passes that were thrown to without being overthrown or whatever. This guy's a ball magnet. I mean, I mean obviously, come from SMU. It's not the big name school whatever, but – you know, like I said, it's not as much of depth at the uh, wide receiver spot. So he definitely can compete with – oh, Chris Moore was another guy. I'm looking at the wide receiver depth chart now, but he's more of a special teamer. Uh, James Proch could probably be a special teamer for now, but I definitely think with those 200-plus catches in two years, I think he has an odd role in this offense down the line too. I mean, that's a reliable mm-hmm. target they want. They Like I said, they need someone who can be a reliable catcher and not drop the easy targets Lamar throws to them. So that's a good spot. He definitely can play down the line, but it will take him a little bit. I would like to have point. Kyle, uh, what else do you have for Fonz? Fonz, Fonz. You know, I don't, I don't really don't have much. I mean, there's really not a <laughs> lot just, of questions. He just hates my franchise. <laughs> this, this is really. I got you know, plenty of more. I, I, I could. I, I watched this draft. I watched this draft for three straight days. Didn't take it off my television. And every single time the Ravens came up, I'm like, damn, that was a good pick. That was a good pick. <laughs> there's not much commentary. There's not much to be said. You know, we've been asking people, you know, Gabe, Jordan, you know, give us grades on their on their team's uh, draft. And 
Fonz, to me, at least to me, this is obvious. This is an obvious, you know, Gabe said it before, you know, no team is perfect, but this is pretty, this is pretty damn close to a, to a, to a perfect draft in my personal opinion. Definitely agree. Um, I don't know if you want me to give the grade right now. You want me to wait, wait until the end, Tom. What do you think? Let's wait. Let, let's <laughs> wait till the end. So okay. we uh, address the rest of these questions. Malik Harrison, linebacker out of Ohio State. Now, I know you have Josh Bynes and you now have Pat Queen. Well, Bynes left. Harrison I believe Bynes in? left for Cincinnati, actually. He just, he just left for Cincinnati. Oh, that's right. That's right. So I stand mistaken. Now, where do you think Willie Harrison fits into the picture? Well, I definitely think he'll be a guy who's a rotational guy for now. Definitely a eventual full-time starter. I know Patrick Queen is going to be the main guy to start in the middle. And then you're going to have Willie Harrison maybe come off the outside linebacker, standing outside linebacker, maybe in rotation too. Obviously, could also be a special teamer. Yeah, I mean, they really end up could both being the starters. They run the 3-4 defense because guess who the other inside linebackers are? It's just LJ Ford. He's more of a more of a special teamer. So maybe you know what him and Queen could be two rookie inside linebackers that start uh, week one for the Ravens. And he was a second round grade, late first round grade. The fact that he got him in the third round, I mean, that's just that's just crazy. Speaking of guys falling and slipping to the Ravens, now I ask you this question, Matabu. Yeah, I mean, you were praising this guy. He was a third-ranked defensive tackle in this draft. How surprised were you he slipped into the third round? I was a little bit surprised. I did not expect the Ravens to even get him at that point. I thought he'd be a nice fit, but maybe I would I would say wait for other options first because – wait for other uh, players at positions first because they're kind of set on defensive line with Calais Campbell, uh, Dalen Mack, and Brandon Williams will be the starting uh, trio there up front. Matt Abuke could definitely be a starter down the line if Mack moves on or Brandon Williams or somebody else. So uh, – I definitely like him a lot. He could be a good rotational guy for now. But the fact that he slipped that far, I mean, maybe something happened. But I don't know. But the Ravens just have a knack for just getting anybody that falls down, that falls on the draft boards. I mean, example, I'll say this quickly. Remember Orlando Brown Jr. last year? Remember that he was supposed to be a high-ranked offensive tackle, and he, he did horrible at the combine, and he dropped in the draft. What did the Ravens do? They were like, who cares about what happened at the combine? Let's take a gamble on him in the third round. He turned out to be, he turned out to be a pro bowler. Yeah. So, again, that's another example. So that's an example of the Ravens being like, all right, listen, he may have had a bad combine, but let's see what if we bring him in in the right system. Let's see what he can do. And and they took a gamble on him with Orlando Brown, and it's going to be the same thing with Matabuke. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Fonz, one question that I do have for you, because I'm thinking about it more and more um, as we're talking about your team. You know, we talked about the J.K. Dobbins pick and how that could potentially be a replacement for Mark Ingram. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they're probably going to most likely split carries. Now, having these two stud running backs on your team, is this now a situation for John Harbaugh where you might have to take the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hand and not let him run the ball, which was part of a key success of a season? Yeah, you know, that I thought about that, too, when they got Dobbins. They were kind of boosting up. Because remember, they brought back Gus Edwards. They still have Justice Hill. So they have four capable running backs at the at the position. They might want to maybe take off some design, maybe not design carry. No, yeah, design carries. Maybe they're going to take it away from a little bit just to kind of ease him off. And then maybe when the playoffs and the end of the season rolls around, he can get those carries and not, you know, not have a lot of tread on his tires, as so to say. So it could be a chance of that. But I think it's kind of a plan like, all right, let's let him let's let him relax, let him have his game for the first couple of games in the season. And then as it goes on, all right, let's take maybe some carries away and have Lamar have some design runs for him. I think it's a plan of. Let's not throw it all out there in week one. That's kind of just like, let's have a bunch of depth guys first. Right. Uh, good point, Kyle and Fon. Speaking of depth, the Ravens went out and they drafted two offensive linemen. 
Ben Bradison and Tyrese Phillips. Tyre Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Marshall Yanda retired. Uh, by the way, you see all the weight he lost? That's it's insane. Already. <laughs> it's already. It's like it's a tradition for all of us. Literally the week after they retire, it's like, yeah, we could like I just they just don't eat anymore and they work out a ton, but they don't like the offensive linemen, they have to work out and eat a bunch to stay in that shape. And then at that point it's like, all right, I can just work out but not really eat so much where like I feel sick to my stomach. The Joe Thomas right. example. Yeah, Joe Thomas. Yeah. Jeff Saturday. Snee, right, James? Chris Snee, Chris too. Snee the yeah. guy for the Giants? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, every lineman. Basically every yeah. lineman we can say at this point. And then Ben Ben Barch did it the other way around. Now, he was underweight and now it's to play in the NFL. But we'll see if he retires. We could easily – gosh, we're talking like 10, 15 years down the line. But okay. <laughs> um, Anyway, how do Phillips and Bradison help fill a boy that was left by Yanda? Well, it's going to be hard to replace it. I mean, Yanda's a, uh, I mean, maybe bias here, Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame guard, consistent guy for the for so long Super Bowl champions. It's going to be hard to replace him, but they had, they drafted those two guys to so maybe eventually have that in there. They also still have Bradley Bozeman, uh, Will Holden. They can compete for who's going to be the starting two guards there. If I had a, if I had a guess on the top of my head right now from day one, I would say one of the rookies, it probably would be Ben Bredesen, could be the starter, and Bradley Bozeman. Phillips maybe could compete, but he also could play some tackle, so he could be some depth for Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown uh, Jr. too. So I would say the Bradley and Ben would be the two guards. Tyree Phillips could be maybe like the uh, the sixth lineman that comes in because he can kind of play all over the all over the line. Yeah, I completely think that those two are going to fill it up. I think the Ravens do have depth so that I don't think they'll lose much of a step with Yanda. Obviously, it's very hard to replace a guy like Marshall, but um, Funds, uh, look, all right, I, I hate to bring this up to you, oh. but the whole Earl Thomas situation, because yeah, uh, yeah. I'm looking at the, the Ravens drafted Geno Stone with their last pick, but how concerned are you now about this whole Earl Thomas situation moving forward for this team. Well, uh, you know, just reading the whole story of, of what's happening and what what is going on with like what his wife did and um, you know finding out what's going on. You know, it, it's a crazy thing that's happening. I kind of still want to know more about the story in depth. We kind of got a little bit where um, you know his wife was uh, held him at gunpoint, so that's kind of just a, a scary situation. So. I don't think the Raiders are going to do anything right now and say, like, cut him or, or, like, get him rid of the system or for now until they see the whole story because it looks like it's not really, like, he, like, start. I'm trying to word it, like, without, like, you know, sounding whatever, but I think they're going to wait a little bit. Uh, The Geno Stone pick, I mean, he's a good special teamer for now and maybe could be the eventual starter down the line because, remember, Earl Thomas, while he is a great player and I do like him a lot, he's going to be – He's going to be 32, or he just turned 31, excuse me. So he's going to be 31 at the end of the season. He has a couple of seasons left. Um, I don't think this whole arrest is going to affect what's going on right now until uh, we get more details about it. But if it was just like what we heard now, I think he'll be fine. But it definitely it's a good replacement down the line. Something the Ravens always do. They draft secondary players in the late rounds, don't play them right away, and then they eventually start. Example, uh, Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott. They were both drafted late a couple of years ago. Now Chuck Clark is going to start opposite of Earl Thomas. So Sean Elliott might eventually be the starter. Maybe two Thomas or maybe another cornerback spot too. Just an example of they draft late guys to eventually start them. My favorite Raven safety of all time is Tom Zivikowski. Hands down. I remember, I remember Zivikowski. I remember, I remember him. I Wow, that's a throwback. That's a throwback. 
Notre Dame guy. Yeah, that's right. I, I figured I should have known. I should have known you liked it because you're Notre Dame guy. Uh, Hiroki Nakamura was interesting, too. I remember Hiroki Nakamura. I thought he was going to be very good. I, he had a good couple like, string of games, and then that, he just fell off completely. But I remember him, too. Uh, Jim Leonard. And they, they've had some good say Ed, Ed Reed, of course, is yeah, yeah. the legend. They've had, they've had a lot of good rotational safeties. Obviously, Ed Reed was a pillar to the staple of that defense. But they always had good guys like going uh, around next to him, too. Bernard Pollard. Another example, too. Let's start alongside Ed Reed. Had a couple of good seasons. Helped him win the Super Bowl that year, too. So, Funds, me and Kyle and James want to ask you this one question about the undrafted free agents that they've got. Oh, yes. They another Hunter, uh, quarterback out of Utah. Uh-huh. Eli Wolf, tight end out of Georgia. Jacob Breland, another tight end out of Oregon. Being that Hayden Hurst is no longer on this team and the Ravens did not draft the tight end. Out of these three guys, Huntley, Wolf, and Breland, uh, which one of these uh, undrafted free agent tight ends do you think has the better shot of making it, Wolf or Breland? I would probably go more towards uh, Jacob Breland because he did play longer. Uh, he did play longer at Oregon. Was more in their offense. I would definitely say it's kind of hard a little bit. I mean, no matter what, the the third tight end on the roster is not going to play much. It's more of who could be a good special teamer. I mean, I definitely because Breland had more experience at Oregon. I definitely think he has the edge here, but. It'll be definitely interesting to see. Uh, they might end up. There's another thing I'll say this time. You remember the the, the wrestler Rick Steiner because his son signed with the Ravens too. Bronson Bronson Rex Steiner, fullback That's from right. Kennesaw State, and he can also play tight end too. So he could definitely, you know, go, maybe he could definitely compete for that third tight end spot because he can play the hybrid role also. But I'll say as of right now, we'll see how they go in the preseason. I'm going to give the edge to Breland a little bit more, but it wouldn't shock me if the other two guys make it over him. Uh, there's a chance they might keep both of them. James, you have something to say to funds? Yeah, quick question. Um, this is uh, their undrafted free agent uh, with their quarterback. How do you feel about that? Oh, when they drafted Tyler Huntley, uh, well, not undrafted, they signed him from Utah. Uh, Huntley was a good quarterback yeah. for Utah, wasn't a he was a solid player for them. You know, I think it's kind of a thing where more of a, I wouldn't say, maybe just a camp arm, uh, probably just to bring him in there to see. Maybe, the, you know, the Ravens done this thing before, too, where they bring in guys. They brought in a kicker last year, and they already didn't need one because of Justin Tucker. Went balled out in the first preseason game. We traded a fifth round. We got him for a fifth round pick in return. And he didn't pan out well. Could be the case where we'll bring him in. Impressed a little bit in a team in need of a quarterback or a backup quarterback, they'll trade for him or something. But I think it's more maybe just competing with Trace McSorley and Robert Griffin for the backup spot. I'm honestly not too worried about it. Um, it'd be a case of anything of a camp arm, maybe bringing it in for a trade and whatnot. So, so more like of a trade bait per se. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, I would say that. Because hey, listen, injuries happen. See, I don't want. I don't want. It, I don't want it to happen. But let's be real, Ken. It's part of the game. A team loses two backup quarterbacks. Yeah. They scramble around for other guys. They could end up trading for a young rookie guy just to be behind a veteran. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Lamar Jackson, eventually, he won't be able to run like this forever. So uh, it's there's going to come a point in time where uh, guys typically are like this. They either do a good job of adjusting their game, this is the older they get, or they continue to do this and get banged up. But, uh, you know, I think Lamar Jackson is super young and he's a great quarterback for them to have. Um, funds, uh, you're great for Baltimore as of right now. Oh, what, what, I listen, 
I definitely um, I agree with Gabe that no draft is absolutely perfect. I think out of all the teams, this might be the closest to a perfect one. I mean, I do. I mean, I'm gonna give it an. I'm gonna give it a. What, what's considered perfect? An A plus? Or are we going A? Like, what is it? The school system, or is it the A plus? Is that perfect? Because I'm gonna go whatever is one below that. Because if we're saying A plus is perfect, I'm gonna go A. If we're saying no, A is considered the perfect. I go A minus. So whatever you guys think. Well, well, Tom, what do you think? What's the per- what's considered perfect? A plus or A? Uh, look, we don't have a perfect system, but an A plus is probably the highest you can get. Then, then I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with an A. I definitely wish they kind of went for a wide receiver and with that 55th pick or 71st pick and more reliable wide receiver, like I said, uh, T Higgins, Michael Pittman, Lavisca Sinal. But I'm not entirely upset because J.K. Dowens and Justin Matabuke solid players too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a an A. They they filled a lot of needs and got a lot of depth, which was something that the Ravens definitely need, especially in that Titans game where you kind of saw they needed depth that their certain guys were struggling. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I think that the Ravens are in a really good spot for next year to win a bunch of games again, win that division and be a very high seed in the NFL playoffs. Um, let's talk about one winner we have from day three. Uh, this is rounds four through seven. I'm just going to go ahead and I, Look, I thought a lot of teams didn't do great in day three, to be honest with you. Uh, This is a time where you're supposed to pay attention and go for guys that could potentially be sleepers. I thought a lot of teams missed multiple times. Um, I thought the Giants missed multiple times. I thought the Green Bay Packers missed a lot. But one team that I I really think did a good job was – not just the Baltimore Ravens, but also the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins. I thought they really did a good yeah. job with their day three picks. I was I was going to agree with you on the Dolphins. The Solomon Kinley, uh, guard from Georgia, yeah. played next to Andrew Thomas. Guy's a mauler, and that's something that they wanted. That's something the Dolphins want to bring back, the trenches players. They also got two defensive ends after that, too, and Jason Strobridge and Curtis Weaver. Two solid defensive ends to go along with that guard that fills up the trenches, which is something that Miami wants to build up, the ground-and-pound offense. Who was the who was the leading rusher for the Dolphins last year? Ryan Fitzpatrick. They got Jordan Howard traded for Matt Burita, and they kind of boosted up top of Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt. They got Solomon Kinley to complete that line. So that's something I really yeah. I liked what the Dolphins did there. Definitely agree with you on that. Kyle Russo, what do you think? Tom, like you alluded to, there was nothing really, you know, out there, you know, pick wise, that really spoke to me and said, wow, that was a great pick. But I said it last week. I think Trent Williams, the acquisition of Trent Williams on day three um, from the Redskins to the 49ers, that was that was the best acquisition of day three. They, they got uh, one of the greatest left tackles to ever play the game for practically nothing, and they didn't have to sign into an extension. On the day of Joe Staley, who was one of the best offensive linemen to play the game, and they easily replaced him um, with practically no compensation given up. And I think that's uh, I think that's by far, in my personal opinion, the best day three acquisition. I really like that, James. Any uh, to piggyback off that? I happen, I happen happen to agree. Oh wow, English, James. Um, I happen to agree with Russo. Uh, I mean, nobody really stood out on day three, and like Tom, you said earlier, day three is more of like your sleeper round guys and. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, there was nothing like that to spark excitement for day three, in my opinion, at least. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with Russo. Actually, I have another team, actually. I just realized this one, too. I like what the Chargers did. 
They got another running back in Joshua Kelly in the fourth round. Two wide receivers in KJ Hill and Joe Reed boosting up that offense for Justin Herbert. I think the Chargers did very well. Uh, needed a lot of skill players because they got a lot of them were injured during the season, so it's kind of some extra depth there too. I didn't, didn't mean to cut you off there, but I wanted to say the Chargers, that was a team that I thought did very well on day three. The, the few teams that did well. I thought they did pretty well too, uh, the Chargers in this draft. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they signed Andy Dalton to a one-year deal this week worth $3 million. What will his role be, and what are your guys' general thoughts on Dak Prescott? I, personally, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why people hate Dak. I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. He's, he's shown that he could perform in the big moments. And, and granted, if his team was all there together at the same time, I think they might have gone to the NFC Championship game and competed. Remember, he didn't have Zeke for almost half the season. He held out. He, he, he got suspended. Then you had Des Bryant, never really got that connection down. Then you had Jason Witten, who was his tight end, retire for a season. Now they got everything together for the first time since he's really been in the league going into this season. You got, um, you got your starting tight end in Blake Jarwin, who you've worked with for a couple years now. You got stud, stud group in a three-headed monster in receivers. And you got Zeke, who's got his contract and will be there and hopefully will actually play like what his contract is giving him because he didn't have that last year. I don't, I don't know what the reason is, but the reason to me would be that Jerry Jones just does not like Dak. And we saw that even when Dak was a rookie going 13 and three, he was pushing for Tony Romer to get in there. When Dak Prescott was seeming like the next easily slide in next quarterback, the Dallas Cowboys for the next 10 years, which is not an easy role to replace. But Jerry Jones was yet still pushing for Tony Romer to come back. And now we're seeing it here. I mean, uh, well, it's not a coincidence that Dak still doesn't have a contract and Andy Dalton that's been with the Bengals and has had success. You know, he's been under some pretty bad coaching with the Cincinnati Bengals. Is in there now. I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence. I, I think, I really do think that the Cowboys may not sign Dak long term. I really do believe that. Because otherwise there'd be no reason. There would be no reason to bring Andy Dalton in because Andy Dalton could be a starter in the NFL, you know. The teams that were interested in him, all you heard was the Patriots and the Jaguars because those are the teams that needed a quarterback. The Cowboys right. don't need that. Let's, the Cowboys um, don't need that. Before we move on, guys, I mean, I do want your two cents too, but uh, I, I think Dalton's brought on a one-year deal. This is a make-it-or-break-it type of deal, and I think Dak is going to be watched more than ever this year. I think the biggest day – the biggest mistake is when the Cowboys give him that contract because they have big issues on both sides of the line. Travis Frederick just retired. I understand they can build through the draft and stuff, and they still have an awesome offensive line, but their defensive line outside of Demarcus Lawrence, can you really name one player on that line? Like I, that's just my opinion. The, the whole quarterback thing is a circus, and Kyle, you're right. It makes no sense. I re, I truly want to believe Dalton is here to be the backup quarterback and not come in unless Dak gets hurt. But it's it's left to be seen. Uh, does anybody think differently? No, I mean... Jack, uh, go ahead, James. Go ahead, Fonz. No, I mean, I was going to say, yes, I mean, it's, nice. just, it, it's just... Uh, with the whole the whole Cowboys thing, I mean, like, you know, Dak has been a very good quarterback for them. He's been very solid for them. I don't know why. I'm not saying you give him like this whole big giant extension making the highest paid quarterback, but you have to pay him at some point because he's been very consistent. 
And I also get what you're saying, Tom. They also have to address other things. But then once you lose the quarterback, what's going to happen there? I mean, I don't know if I trust Andy Dalton to be a reliable starter. I think Dak is way better than him. I think you got to pay him. I don't know what Jerry Jones is thinking. I don't know what he does to see in him, but I don't know. See, I disagree there. I don't think Dak is way better than Andy Dalton. I think he's better than Andy, Andy Dalton. But uh, I personally, I don't think Dak is elite. I don't think Dak is elite. I think he's at the bottom tier of the top 10, and he maxes out there, quite frankly. I think Dak is a terrible team player. He deals with the media awfully, and I don't think he—he's very ungrateful for what Dallas has given him. He's turning down, uh, look, hey, I mean, I know there's a lot uh, of—I don't want to use the term fake news, but I disagree with that. I think Dak is not in the long-term plans for the Dallas Cowboys. Um. I think Dallas is screwed after this year, to be honest with you. And it's the Jerry Jones way or the highway. And that's that's the that's the reason why I think that at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It, it's just alarming that they've chosen to pay every single person except for, like, the most important position on the team. <laughs> Definitely. When that has brought the most success. What? That's what makes no sense. It just doesn't make any success. It doesn't well, make any sense. I think, I think Dak needs to sign the franchise now because, obviously, with the whole – the whole uh, COVID-19 thing, you can't really see anybody in person. The salary cap's going to, you know, I think it's going to hurt him. He's not going to get that whole giant contract. Guys, we're pressed for time, so we have to move on. Uh, Don Shula passed away this week at the age of 90 years old, uh, head coach for the Baltimore Colts and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, The 1972 Dolphins now stand as the only, well, they still stand as the only perfect season in NFL history, thanks to the Giants uh, in Super Bowl 42. But, um, Rest in peace, Don Shula, uh, an all-time great, nothing but respect for him. Uh, 90 years, a very long life, and uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the Shula family. Um, Don Shula, I know none of us are really old enough to remember him, but, uh, you know, Fonz being the the head coach for the Baltimore Colts, that uh, time he was was there, it really led to his, uh, his glory days in Miami. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Uh, you always, it's always cool to see the careers of where they start and show from the Baltimore Colts to being, you know, an icon in South Beach. You know, just uh, had a, a great career, a great life. Just condolences to the family. Yeah, I agree. It's it's terrible, but Don Shula was a very successful man, very successful NFL head coach. Uh, now... Bill Belichick is probably the closest thing we've seen to Don Shula. Uh, is Bill Belichick the greatest coach ever, or do we really have to wait to see how the post-Brady era goes? I want to see how it is that post-Brady era for this year. I'm not saying you have to win the Super Bowl, but you know, winning 10 games or whatever and then getting another quarterback, I, I would have to wait the year and, and see. I want to see how it goes without the Brady era. I think I that agree. if he retired when Brady left, um, maybe, but he's staying around. And I want to see how he does. I think considering that Belichick is, I believe, 65, it doesn't really give him enough time necessarily to put together that championship pedigree type of quarterback, let alone a whole team. So, but I think Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. And then no, no disregard to what Don Schull was able to accomplish. I put Vince Lombardi ahead of Don Schull, but Don Schull is definitely number three on my list. Yeah, it's really a toss-up at the end of the day. Now, my, my last question for you guys uh, tonight is, 
The NFL released the 2020 schedule. There are no international games. Are you guys surprised that a lot of divisional games are pushed back? For some instances, the Giants don't have a divisional game for Week 5. Any general thoughts on the NFL schedule? I'm surprised the Giants don't have a divisional game until Week 5 because us Giant fans, also half the country knows that Sunday Night Football, or at least one of the major nights when the NFL does open is Giants-Cowboys. Um, so that that's a little different for us Giant fans. Um, but I think I think they just probably just wanted to mix it up this season, honestly. I kind of like the fact that they're going to play the Steelers uh, um, Monday, night, uh, Monday Night Football. I kind of like the difference in change. I think this is partially due to the virus concerns in the event the season uh, – cannot have fans or has to get pushed back. They're trying to put as many few divisional games as possible towards the first few weeks of the, of the season. But, um, Fonz, any thoughts on the schedule? I know the Baltimore Ravens have a pretty good one. I know a very favorable schedule this year. Yeah, they actually do have a uh, matchup, a division matchup in the first four weeks. Actually, I think it's either the Browns or the Bengals. Don't quote me on that. It's one of those teams. Uh, the Browns, I think. The, the, so in the beginning, it's all it's pretty good. They have Monday Night Football against the Chiefs. The only big problem is, uh, I'll say this, I'll end this on this. There is a stretch where they have the Steelers on Thanksgiving, Cowboys the following week. The Titans, as they make a joke about that. Uh, the Eagles also. So it's a tough stretch of just four games, and it's at Philadelphia too. So it's just four really tough games in that stretch. So that's going to be a little bit – I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. But, I mean, they also play the Giants too. That's going to be a good game. Ravens-Giants, I think it's in week 15, week 16. Let's, yep. get, let's, let's go to that game, huh? Week 16, the Giants will play the Ravens. Guys, any final thoughts before we sign off? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. All right, guys, a uh, quick preview of next week. We will recap uh, the rest of the NFC East. We will have Paul Lombardi back to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Tonight's show was dedicated to the memory of John Mondello um, and dedicated to his family and friends as well. We wish you guys the best, and we are here for you if you need anything. Um, rest in peace, John, and I love you, man. This show tonight was dedicated to you and your family and friends. On behalf of Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, and Fonz DeFalco, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Good night, everyone. Thanks, John.